This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And welcome to the show. Man, I've just uh, been on spring break. Coming back. My face is a little tight. Skin's a little... I think my skin shrunk. Why? I don't know. It's probably my workout. I think it was the Botox that froze your face. Was it the Botox? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Because I don't think they were putting the Botox in the right place. Really? Yeah. You gotta be careful. Back of my head. Don't know why. They said the... Front of the head, front of the face, not worth it. Hmm. Use the Botox in the back. <laughs> they say it's good for sweating. Uh, I love botulism. Go I on. do too. <laughs> hey, let's inject that poison in your face. It'll be awesome. It'll be fantastic. So I went on spring break with my family, my kids, which is a different type of spring break than the one that you maybe had in college. Yes, I can see that. It didn't seem as fun. You don't, usually you don't bring mom and dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it didn't seem as fun. Um, yeah. It's just like it, it was, my family is shrinking, and I'm now down to about two kids that I worry about. Just about? Mm-hmm. Just about two. Because you never know. Guess. Well, the count changes all the time. Oh, okay. And, you know, we have six kids, but there's only two that really need super – well, there's three that need to be watched. The rest – Probably they come and go. Yeah, but you could probably make an argument that most of them need to be watched on some level. Oh, that's true. Okay, that's totally true. Because my parents still claim that I need to be watched. Yeah. Well, they're right. <laughs> and if they're listening, you're not doing a very good job. No, I'm not. Hey, um, this was a weird thing because my son brought a 1,000 piece puzzle. Ooh, sounds like fun. Yeah, I thought, man, that's kind of weird. Like that's what old people do. Yeah. Amazingly, I put 900 pieces of the puzzle together. Old people do things. I, it took everything in me to just not finish it. Really? Yeah. Resist the urge? Uh-huh. Every time we'd well, get... You're, we'd, that, you're that far. Why don't you just finish? Well, because I wanted my son to have a chance to have a sense of fulfillment. Oh. So... Let him do the clouds or something? Actually, the water, the ocean, because it was it was the map of the, of the world. Okay. So I let him do the ocean. You do the blue part. But what's happening to me? Like, every second I could sit down, I was doing this puzzle. So are you concerned that you're slipping into old? Concerned? Slipping? I think I've already, like, just completely fallen. Just accepted it? I think I fell and broke a hip into old. (laughs) That's how far down this old path I've gone. It's scary. What what, what would you want to do? What was something else? I don't know. Work out. (laughs) Then I'm like, dude, you haven't worked out for years. I said that to myself. I call myself dude. Dude. Every once in a while. Uh, I'd love to work out, mm. but I hate doing it. I thought maybe I'd go, you know, maybe I'd start running on my my fairly good foot. Did, th- there might be a local shopping mall in the area. You could go walk yeah. there. Oh, I hate that. Early in the morning. No. With m- m- people of oh, your with age. Old people, yeah. yeah. With white shoes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I tried that. They wouldn't let me in the group. Oh, okay. You're probably missing your reflective vest. I think uh-huh. they would have accepted mm. you if you yeah. had that. Yeah, no. They actually said that I don't because I don't have a pacemaker. I can't. Maybe the, maybe them. there was a group in the area with uh, maybe a jazzy scooter race of some kind mm-hmm. you could enter. And yep, yeah. 
No? Didn't didn't oh. find those people. Walker tricks? No. No? So I just did puzzles. Okay. What else did I do? You, you're in kind of a, a, an area I'm of the country age. known for retirement communities. Yeah. That's yeah. where you went to vacate. Yeah, right. That's right. So Hanging out with the- Well, like you couldn't find a like demographic. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was weird. I went to the pool with the youngsters, and all I could just smell was flesh burning. Water aerobics. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. At a community center near you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I gotta write that down. Water, yeah, water aerobics. Because uh, that I could kill. Um, because a I can get in the water, and b I can do aerobicize. So you were in the pool with your family. I actually, and, and they, I, you were burning. No, I wasn't in the pool. Oh, wow. I was sitting on the side, mm. burning. And I'm thinking, at my age, at 46. This is just a carcinogen. This is just dangerous. I'm on fire. I mean, really, but I, when I was young, I didn't care. I just wanted to be in the pool and you wanted to look good. Now it's like, this is more wrinkles. That's pathetic. <laughs> it was a bad trip. I mean, it was a fun trip from my to be with my family, but I'm like, I'm getting old. Right. And I don't want to, I mean, I'm not. So how do you fight the effects of aging? <sighs> I guess you don't go on spring break well that's not a way to do it i guess you don't you gotta you gotta do things you gotta be lively and get out because if not then you're just gonna stay home do puzzles. and watch like matlock by the way which you know is somewhere on your 50 million uh, cable channels didn't watch matlock but i did watch adam 12 Ooh, and i did watch the lone ranger the old version and i did watch some charlie's angels wow i'll just throw backs to my childhood while I sat and did a puzzle and cried. Did you have a shawl over your shoulders to keep off the afternoon chill? Uh, no, but I did uh, My I did have a sweatshirt. A little bowl of prunes next to you? Yeah. No, I, had, uh, no, I didn't have prunes. I had some – I did have some nuts. Okay. Some cashews. Hmm. Sometimes those can be a little tough on the dental work depending on your yeah. situation. No, I just suck on them until they're <laughs> moist and squishy. <laughs> You guys are so rude. Hey, uh, you, I'm sure you didn't. You had to watch this all night last night. Wisconsin. Eh, it was there. I mean, uh, Cruz killed. I was out being young and you know energetic last night, and uh, got the notification an hour after the polls had closed that really? it was done. That so, Cruz had won and Bernie Sanders had won. Cruz, Cruz killed it. With like thirty percent of uh, Wisconsin reporting, they had already yeah. called it. So, Cruz and Sanders. Cruz is uh, Cruz had forty eight point three percent of the vote. Donald Trump thirty five point one percent. Kasich fourteen point one percent. Makes you wonder, why is he still around? That's what the other two were saying. <laughs> why are you still around? Sanders fifty six point five percent. Clinton forty three percent. I mean, again, that everyone just says, you know, that means that means there's going to be a contested convention now, pretty much guaranteed. Hillary Clinton is growing everly more annoyed as every day passes. I know it doesn't make sense. Cause what she's, is what is he doing? I'm supposed to be president. Get out of the way, Bernie Sanders. She keeps turning to her people. Did you guys not talk to Bernie's people? Did we get this settled? I thought for sure with uh, Wasserman Schultz that we were just going to walk through. What is going on here? She's ticked. Except I think it's making her a better candidate. 
It is. It's making her have to actually go after some issues. She's fighting, yeah. And have to fight instead of just, you know, put it on cruise control and wait for a Republican Don't to step say up. cruise control. Sorry, sorry. Speaking of cruise control, um, Cruz didn't come out and beat up Trump much because he he already beat Trump. So instead, Cruz came out and took on Clinton. Tonight was a bad night for Hillary Clinton. It was a bad night in the Democratic primary, and it was an even worse night for her in the Republican primary. He's talking about Clinton. Yeah. That's a general election discussion. Like, it's... Like, what is he doing? This is not even the primary. Either before Cleveland or at the convention in Cleveland, together we will win a majority of the delegates, and together we will beat Hillary Clinton in November. He keeps, he keeps bringing her up like, like they have momentum or something. I, I think the people of Wisconsin have sent, sent a message, and it's a message that Americans are sending all over the country. This is now four states in a row where we've won resounding victories. It's momentum, dude. He's counting in Colorado where he got six delegates. Resounding. Resounding, because Trump got zero. Resounding. I thought I, They said it was two congressional districts voted in Colorado. Oh really? Like somehow it's split up, or so. I, they were yeah. trying to explain it, and I. You Do know. they just go by? Sometimes they go by congressional district by district, so you basically have to win your delegates by district. But it wasn't the state; it was just the districts. Oh, they, oh, oh, really? The whole state didn't vote; just two districts. Yeah. Well, that's sad for the rest. So he goes, out of six, we won all six. Hold it! What? Hold it! <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Are we, are we, every every small victory is still. A victory? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, here's the deal. In a minute, we're going to have uh, Lana Atkinson on. She is a professor that studies kind of polling and excitement. And you wonder if all of a sudden, are the GOP, we always hear about how they're turning out in droves. Everybody loves these this uh, election cycle. Trump's brought in so many more voters. But is that really the case, first of all? Are there more Republicans that are turning out or are there more Democrats turning out? How does this compare to the last election? And what is really the key to turnout? Is it, you know, is it just because everybody is so tired of Obama? Is that why the GOP is turning out? Is it because this is a chance to choose a presidential candidate that will totally represent uh, you know, the GOP, why are they turning out the way they are? So Dr. Lana Atkinson will be joining us and discussing some of her recent work um, on turnout and the importance of where the party is in the race. Are you, a, are you a, an incumbent? Are you sitting in your presidential seat? Does it matter where we are as far as a party is concerned in, uh, in the political process? So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But before... We go to uh, Dr. Atkinson. Let's first get to Dr. South. Whoa. And find out the news headlines. What's going on, Terry? Thanks for the promotion. Uh, Ted Cruz has overtaken Donald Trump nationally in a Reuters tracking poll, leading by 39 to a 37 margin on Tuesday. The poll shows Trump has run into serious trouble over the past week, which saw campaign manager uh, Corey Lewandowski arrested for battery on uh, grabbing a reporter and Trump changing his position on abortion three times. Uh, he had after, a bad week. <laughs> you know, he mentioned the punishment for women who terminate a pregnancy. So he had a bad week and the poll has dropped. And this might be one of the polls that uh, Trump discounts. Oh, yeah. 
He says I'm he bet. doesn't like that one. In a rare one-on-one interview, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton said she is not even sure that Bernie Sanders is a Democrat. During Politico's Off Message podcast, she said he is a relatively new Democrat, and in fact, I'm not even sure he is one. He's running as one, so I don't know quite how to characterize him, Clinton <laughs> said. She's frustrated by what she calls a persistent, organized effort to smear her political record. I know that Senator Sanders spends a lot of time attacking my husband, attacking President Obama. I rarely hear him saying anything negative about George W. Bush, who I think wrecked our economy, she says. Clinton also said there wasn't much difference between Trump and Ted Cruz, calling the Texan senator a very, you know, mean-spirited guy. Hmm. So Cruz keeps talking about Clinton. Clinton brought up Cruz a little bit, but really likes to talk more about George Bush. Yes. Weird politics. It's really strange. Senator Ted Cruz was a projected winner in the Wisconsin primary less than an hour after the polls closed on Tuesday. Donald Trump campaign responded with a statement arguing that Trump withstood the onslaught of the establishment once again, Mm. even though lion Ted Cruz had the governor of Wisconsin, many conservative talk show hosts, and the entire party apparatus behind him. The Trump team went on to accuse Cruz of illegally coordinating with his supportive super PAC, who's totally controlling him. In quotes. Wow. They then added this line, Ted Cruz is worse than a puppet. He is a Trojan horse being used by the party bosses attempting to steal the nomination from Mr. Trump. Wow. So the new play is against the party, which seems like not a unifying thing to do. No. Which seems like might impact him negatively if the convention. But he's a rea- he reacts. He's reacting yeah. to what the party's doing. Hmm. That's how we okay. explain it. Uh, we've had the whole Apple FBI fiasco yeah. that sort of went away. Thank heavens for some third party. But uh, yeah. but now WhatsApp. Have you ever used WhatsApp? What's up? WhatsApp. WhatsApp. It's a texting no. messaging app. No. Uh, the global online messaging service owned by Facebook has added end-to-end encryption to its platform, meaning that even employees cannot uh, read messages sent through the app by its one billion users. Hmm. All text messages, phone calls, videos, and images sent on the service, which is used by people worldwide, will be encrypted. Building secure products actually makes for a safer world, though many people in law enforcement may not agree with that, founder Brian Acton said, defending his decision. This comes shortly after a fight between the FBI and Apple over the encrypted San Bernardino iPhone. So, wow. Now that we'll see if they go after WhatsApp. That's used globally. Why are we just go behind the scenes, man? Yeah. What happened to the day of spies? Spies. Just eh. Start spying. And this one might make into this might lead to a worldwide trend that you may okay. want to yeah, pay yeah, attention yeah. to. You you're a big fan of the afternoon nap. Oh, for Spain sure. Spain might soon be putting to end the traditional 3-hour midday lunch break due to low levels of productivity oh, in comparison siesta? to their siestaless European neighbors. Oh, Spanish come on. Spanish Seriously. Spanish workers typically begin at 10 a.m. and work through 2 yeah. p.m. Yeah. Then they leave for up to 3 hours right. before returning to work through 8 p.m. Uh-huh. Siestas originally began as a way for farmers to avoid the brutal midday temperatures, although even despite putting in more hours of work than, say, Germans, Spanish workers average lower levels of productivity with siestas built into the workday. Mm. The Spanish prime minister has uh, headed the movement to cut the workday by two hours and end siestas, saying, I will find a consensus to make sure that the workday ends at 6 p.m. I'm telling you, siestas are the bestas. I love me a good siesta. Lived in Argentina for two years. Are you kidding me? I mastered the midday nap. Mmm. Well, there goes Spain. Great. 
We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Lana Atkinson will be joining us. We will be talking about primary turnout. Have you noticed there is this perceived enthusiasm gap between the GOP and the Dems? Is it a real issue? Is there more excitement in the Republican Party right now or the Democratic Party? It seems like a lot of people are bored in the Democratic side. Is that truly the case? We'll find out. We'll be talking about this uh, perceived enthusiasm gap and uh, what really is going on behind the scenes um, when it comes to the numbers and the data. Stick with us, folks, helping you better understand this political process. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Available at Tuacon.org. Welcome back, friends. You know, during this current presidential election, many uh, articles have circulated on the perceived enthusiasm of the Republican Party compared to the low turnout on the Democratic side. However, according to our guest today, Dr. Lana Atkinson, uh, differences in turnout aren't necessarily a result of uh, differing levels of enthusiasm. In fact, turnout in party primary contests are largely explained by the party's position in the electoral cycle, Dr. Atkinson analyzed turnout in primary elections in each presidential election since 2004, calculating voter turnout by the number of primary voters divided by an estimate of the eligible population using a normal party vote measure. So we've brought her uh, we've asked her to be on the show today because we want to know, is there a, is there an enthusiasm gap or is this just playing out like politics as usual? Dr. Lana Atkinson joins us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Dr. Atkinson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to have you. What do you think? So, uh, first of all, do, do you sense that there is a gap anyway between the GOP excitement and enthusiasm about the election or the Democratic side? Well, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely um, enthusiasm on both sides. There has been a greater turnout on the Republican side this year than the Democratic side. Um, but they're in line with sort of expectations. To be expected. Based upon, yeah, based upon previous uh, previous information about uh, where they were in the contest. And talk to us about that. You call that, I guess, party position, right? Right. I'm calling that party position in that uh, blog that you're looking at on Mischief of Faction. Um, but basically, party position is... You're either the party in power or you're the party not in power, right? You're either in the White House or you're not. And it's either an open race, that is, there's no incumbent running, or there is an incumbent running. Mm. And those, those uh, cells, so you're an in-party uh, in an open race or an in-party with an incumbent running, affects your turnout. So in, if you're the in-party and the incumbent is running, Right, and there's an incumbent running that has the lowest turnout because those races are are really not very exciting, and most of the time there's no competition um, in those races, and so nobody turns out because you know competition is really a driving factor right. um, in these contests. So those are the weakest races, and so we can see if we look at the contests for both Democrats and Republicans that mimic those the two, 2004 Republican race and the 2012 Democratic race. So the turnout is basically identical mm. between the two parties. 
Um, and then if we think about the out party, right, the out party during the years when there's an incumbent running, um, they have an incentive to participate. There's some amount of competition. But, you know, there's this incumbent, and an election about an, when an incumbent is running, an election always centers around the incumbent, right? Right. And so that's a more, it's a more, difficult, more difficult situation for the out party. Um, so there's some enthusiasm, but not as much. And so if we look at that, um, we can see that Democratic and Republican turnout is pretty much the same is it, <laughs> again for do, those years. Do you notice that, um, I, I mean, because it seems like, so the last time the Democrats have had uh, no incumbent running, so an open seat, um, but they had been in, they are in power, I guess, was, I guess, uh, back to Clinton at the end of Clinton's right, and term? this year. And this, and this year, right. So, right. Uh, it, it, so I guess, though, in the end, it's it doesn't bode well for the incumbent party, usually in an open year. It, it's slightly less turnout. It's still more turnout than if they, uh, you know, if there's an incumbent running for either party. Right. right. If there's an incumbent, so there's still more turnout. And actually, there's been, you know, there's been signs of increasing turnout as the the race has, has continued to get more competitive. So actually the Democratic race is slightly above uh, what the a comparable um, Republican race was. Back in, in back, yeah. Because th- th- this is an interesting way to look at it, uh, really, because it's more just about the conditions, right, the situation than it is even the candidates. If, if we're basically trending the exact same way we did in 04, then it really isn't even about candidates. It's about... The position. Well, it's about the, how the position structures candidate behavior and voter behavior. Okay. So we can think about how that position then, because when you're the out party for so long, when you're out party for like eight years, you really, you know, there is more excitement. Geez, we've been out of power for a long time. There's also more uncertainty about who should be the party leader, and we can see that very much mm. in the Republican contest. Right. And we could see that in 2008 with the Democratic contest, right, the comparable one between Obama and Clinton. Right. It really got competitive. There was a lot of uncertainty about who should be the party nominee, who would be best right to to win the election and who is going to put us in the best position to win the election. Because there's a lot of desire on the part. There is enthusiasm. There's a lot of desire on the partisans. Right. Especially those participating in the nomination contest. Uh, you know, to get back the White House because they haven't had it for a sure. long time. Well, and um, you, you, those candidates help to structure, so that position helps structure everyone's behavior. Because mm. you can see that with, uh, with like, for example, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, they're able to play against the idea of even kind of the um, the establishment. Republicans that have gone in, the McCain, the Romneys that that couldn't deliver. Um, and, yeah, now they're arguing that they're the best. You can almost see after so many years of not having a presidential uh, – having – being in power that they're fighting for their position. They're fighting for their – their and, and fighting about it in a kind of a radical way, right, extreme way. Right. I mean there's certainly – there's certainly, you know, really like, you know, what is the basis? Of Who is most electable? Who can garner – those general election voters that aren't participating in our nomination campaign, right? Who's going to be better positioned mm. to fight that general election battle? Who, what do you see is happening 
with Trump that seems to be bringing in supposed, uh, you know, Democrats that were not wanting, um, I guess, that weren't into the Obama administration and that maybe feel disenfranchised. Where are these people coming from? Well, you know, actually, those people tend to be, you know, uh, supporting Sanders. I mean, Democrats who uh, have not been satisfied with Obama um, are supporting Sanders, um, interestingly enough. And I think, you know, the same thing's going on in the Republican Party, right, where you're seeing this, um, you know, uh, preference, right, for someone who is the outsider, especially if you're, right, you don't want... You know, these, these people haven't come through for us before. We're angry, um, so we want some change. But mm. that's, you know, the dialogue is obviously very different between the two parties on that. What do, what do you see with um, President Obama was able to turn out uh, a really strong minority, you know, constituency? He had a, a strong following there. Do you, does that matter when it comes to kind of this new open election for president or for Hillary Clinton, she everyone keeps saying she's got to be able to basically pull the same base and the same numbers as President uh, Obama, or she doesn't have a chance. Well, I mean, you know, she's probably got about forty three percent, I would guess, of the electorate going in. Um, so, so that's you know, I mean, sort of the party base is yeah. is going to hold for these candidates, especially because the Democratic Party is not being. Jesus, it's not being torn apart in the same way that uh, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. the Republican Party is being torn apart. So that I mean, that's going to have some carryover effect for the Republicans um, in the general election. Hmm. Is so in in a way, what your study has found is that we, we're pretty much normal, even though this seems like a crazy season, and it might just be because the candidates are vying for president in in such a different way than we're used to seeing. But in the end, as far as turnout goes, it's exactly what we would expect in an open election year. That's right. I mean, that's a really interesting sign that we're actually having sort of a period of normal politics when it comes to turnout, when everything everything actually seems rather abnormal and Mm -hmm. unusual. Does this matter? I mean, in the end... Because going forward, I guess, we've been struggling with the polls anyway. Some of the polls don't seem as accurate as they used to be. So I guess your this research you've been doing becomes just another predictive method to figure out what really is going on. Right. I mean, certainly, like, you know, what is how, how are things shaking out in terms of turnout? There's little evidence that, that actual turnout in a particular uh, contest affects general election outcomes. Though the outcomes for the contest do have some effect on um, turnout, or not turnout, but outcomes in the general election themselves. So, you know, the more there is some evidence that the more divisive the state primary, um, whichever party has the most divisive state primary, um, gets less votes in the general election. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. So, whichever whichever party. Does uh, doesn't do as well in a divisive state primary, right? So if you have uh, so last night, I think we had forty six percent, right? Right for Trump or Cruz, um, and fifty four percent for Sanders. I think that's roughly yeah fifty six point five percent for Sanders, forty eight point three percent for Cruz. So there is a difference of about eight percentage points there um, with uh, 
you know, the Democrats having slightly more support in the state. So that would suggest that the Democrats should get slightly more votes in the general election in Wisconsin, which is a, um, you know, which is a purple state, which yeah. is a more competitive state. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So so the state by state, uh, because it's also a really interesting um, it's a, isn't it a weird phenomenon? Because in a way, uh, you have Kasich, for example, you have a three-person race against a two-person race. Does that impact the numbers going forward? Meaning, does does a three-party race, because I'm assuming some of those people that had voted for Kasich may have also gone for Cruz, which would have lifted his numbers. Well, I think that's an interesting case. I mean, who are those Kasich people who are... I mean, Kasich's won, like, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's it. Uh, Senate, that was his own state, and he didn't win it, you know, frankly, with incredibly <laughs> high numbers, given that he's governor of the state. Um, so, so, you know, he has this interesting, you know, story he's telling about wanting to take over the convention and be the consensus candidate. And so, you know, you, you start wondering, are these people buying into that? I mean, I, I'm not sure. Are those, are those Kasich supporters, you know, who is their second choice? Is that Trump or is that Cruz? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure in, in his case because we don't have a lot of a lot of information on sort of his supporters. I mean, that's that's one of the best he's done there, 16. percent That was that's one of his better <laughs> better it's, contests, actually. No, it's true, um, huh? Yeah. So I'm not. I, yeah, he's sort of an interesting character. I'm not sure what his voters are. You know, I think because obviously he's a lot more. Uh, he's considered more moderate um, than Ted Cruz and more likable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that they're um, automatically Cruz fans. I'm, uh, I think they would have voted for Cruz if they were. So I'm not sure what that means. No, I, I'm with you. I'm t- I don't think any of us know what's really going on. <laughs> this is crazy. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Lana Atkinson again, and she is uh, she's walking us through voter turnout and really uh, the enthusiasm alleged enthusiasm gap between the GOP and the Democrats. Folks, it actually may be just more normal, status quo. Same old, same old. We'll have more here with Dr. Atkinson from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Is there an enthusiasm gap between the GOP and the Dems? We hear, oh yeah, the turnout in the GOP side, man, they are energized. And there's just not a lot of energy on the Democratic side. Well, we're finding out that may not be the case. It's actually pretty much exactly what you'd expect for an open election. Um, it's pretty much what you'd expect, according to our... Our uh, guest, Lana Atkinson, Dr. Lana Atkinson, is uh, a professor and regents lecturer in the political science department at the University of New Mexico. And she's talking to, to us today about a study she did on presidential primary turnout and the importance of the party's position, whether they are incumbent or not incumbent and, and the incumbent, or also if uh, they are in the position of, uh, the, that has the power. Uh, it's a, it's those are all critical parts of turnout and enthusiasm, Dr. Lana Atkinson. Welcome back to the show. 
Oh, thank you. So really, when we think about it, we're, we're exactly where you should be in a non-incumbent uh Party. A lot of people keep trying to like peg Hillary Clinton as an incumbent, right? This would be this would be Obama, you know, revisited. Um, does any of that play out in this process? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if she if she were uh, if she were clearly the heir apparent, I mean, there is actually, like I said, she's actually there is slightly higher turnout mm-hmm. uh, on the Democratic side than uh, comparable. On the Republican side in the same election year, it's still much lower than the Republicans this year, but it's, it's slightly higher than what we saw with Republicans in 2008. And part of that is that they're, um, you know, that she she was the heir apparent. So if we look back to sort of 2000, mm-hmm. and Gore was the heir apparent, and the contest took a, a very different shape. Um, you know, it, it ended much earlier, right? It was it was over by now, actually. Right. Yeah. And Gore knew that he was the nominee. And so we saw, you know, we saw turnout sort of more comparable then. There was sort of an heir apparent. It does look like that often when there's an incumbent um, president, in, you know, not in power, not running, that there is more certainty. There's a little bit more certainty to the contest usually or a little bit more um, expectations about who the key players are and who are the likely winners. Mm, yeah, and it, um, and and two, I guess we have Bernie Sanders in there that's stirring the pot in a way that very few expected. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know he's not even a Democrat. Really, I, know, right? I know he's barely a Democrat. <laughs> it's so is, true. Yeah, which is certainly why all those super delegates aren't very excited about it. Mm-hmm. It, and that's why, and why Hillary keeps touting the fact that she's been a long-term Democrat who's raised a lot of money and been there for everybody. And yes. I, I mean, what's interesting though is that he he's keeping it alive. I remember eight months ago, the big question was, you know, it seemed like the Democrats had just set you know Hillary Clinton up to just receive her nomination, and out of nowhere, we've now got a fighter that keeps biting at her heels. Yes, yes, and and. And a very interesting one. I mean, he's he's uh, performed better uh, in this last primary, and uh, you know, seeing how he does in these next few states in the Northeast could be, you know, could, I mean, could make for a more exciting Democratic convention than we expected. Although clearly, the excitement is going to be on the Republican side. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, or just like the the crazy uh, train crash that we all want to see. It's I don't know if that's excitement, but it's 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 kind of scary. Yeah, to see what's coming. I hadn't thought about it the way, but it's sort of like a NASCAR race where you're waiting for someone to crash. It's you true. See it. You know, you don't, you know. And it changes the entire crazy. game, right? It changes the entire day if there's a crash. And yeah, but it's, it's almost just, it's like not healthy. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it, on the other hand, that politics has always been a spectator sport in America. Hmm. And it's always been part of our sort of pastime, leisurely pastime is our is watching and observing and and participating in our politics. Do you sense that uh, anything, that there will be ballot issues? I mean, I know sometimes they try to turn out the vote and get more enthusiasm by putting more interesting issues on ballots like legalizing marijuana. I mean, do you you think a ballot issue is going to come into play that might make this race more interesting, I guess, when it gets to a general election? Well, there's always that possibility that you can increase those voters. They actually did that in uh, Albuquerque. Uh, the city actually had some sort of advisory measure on marijuana 
and there was, you know, this subtext that this is going to help Democratic candidates. Mm. But, you know, we, you know, we saw actually some people just who were only motivated by that question, you know, they pretty much just went in and voted for that question. So you can't, you can't certainly rely on those kind of motivations um, to affect the overall vote. I mean, most states aren't competitive, right? Right. So most states is not a big factor. But some states, you know, it could be a factor in a couple of states that that um, have both the nom- you know, both are purple states or competitive states and and have ballot measures. A lot of states don't have ballot measures. What what about this this the GOP um you know, chaos that's going on with the contested convention and, and the kind of anti-Trump movement. It seems like that also is turning out uh, and turning up maybe turnout in a lot of states. I know in Utah it was a big part of the turnout. Is Does that create a false sense of enthusiasm? False sense of enthusiasm. Like because huh. in the end, in the end, in the in the general election, a vote for Cruz is not necessarily. It may have just been a vote against Trump, and so mm. it, it almost seems like it might be setting up the GOP for a big surprise in a general. That's interesting. I mean, so the question really is like sort of if you're, you know, what does it mean if you support a losing candidate, right? In essence, right. something. You know, what does it mean when you support a losing candidate? And so there's, that's really an interesting question and one I've looked at. And so that comes back to some of these, like, divisive components of the campaign. And so we know that people who support the party nominee, of course, you know, they really support him in the general election. But people who supported a losing candidate actually went out and supported a losing candidate are really strong partisans. Hmm. And they tend to, uh, you know, return to the party folds. Because when you get to the party, when you get to the general election, you're looking at a different set of candidates. And and you're going, well, gee, you know, if you're a Republican, you're going, well, gee, if it were Sanders or Clinton, how much do they represent me versus the guy that I actually got, even if he's not the guy that I really wanted? That's true, huh? Right? Yeah. So you, yeah. Yeah. If different. you're pro-party, you're pro-party. You'll do what it takes to get your person elected. And yeah, and, you know, you're more favorable to that candidate because they are more like you yeah. than the other opportunity or the other option um, in the race. But it's those people, actually, those people who aren't participating um, in the nomination campaign um, and sort of how, you know, how that they, they are those partisans, those people who identify with the partisan, you know, as a party label, those people are the most likely to bolt, um, you know, in terms of a more divisive campaign, mm. or be more affected by, by these, these aspects. Right. No. About. Yeah. Uh, totally. Is um, just as we wrap this up, what what are you looking for, uh, Lana? As you look forward to this election, and you know the numbers, and you know enthusiasm gaps, and you know party positions. What are what's one thing that we could all be looking for that maybe you're looking for that might be a tell for where this is all going? You mean in terms of election outcomes? Yeah. Yeah. Or- um, I mean, is, are there any is there is there any number any metric that you look at and you're like, mm-hmm, there it is, that you know is gonna it's gonna take us somewhere? N- not in this case. This is a extremely unusual election. Um, obviously, we've had things happen in this election. I mean, uh, you know, party nominee Romney from 2012 has come out and said that he will not support Donald Trump if he is 
uh, nominated by the party. To my knowledge, I know of absolutely no time in history where a former party nominee has made such a statement. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is extremely um, unusual, and the fight going on internally in the, the Republican Party is extremely unusual and, you know, frankly doesn't bode well for their prospects in the general election. That's yeah, because a divided, you know, a divided company, right? It's 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 too divided. Well, and yeah. especially with a candidate that is not necessarily deeply in the party anyway, that could go swing right. out and be independent anyway. Well, Dr. Lana Atkinson, we appreciate you and your great work there down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Keep up, keep it up. Thanks for being on the show with us. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Wonderful insight, man, folks. The numbers. They're pretty telling, really, and uh, it's hard because you don't always get that depth of uh, insight and professional study of the numbers just by watching those news channels. There comes a point you need more information to to be able to know what's really going on. We'll take a break, come back, continue uh, the discussion on the other side of the break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've all got that one thing that we're super nerdy about, right? Superheroes, Harry Potter, maybe just even Japanese anime. And sometimes we get the chance to do more than just imagine our favorite heroes. We get to dress up as them. You know, there's Halloween for that, of course. But let's not forget the ever-growing phenomenon that is known as Comic-Con. Uh, The San Diego Comic-Con alone boasts more than 130,000 attendees per conference. And for all those attendees, perhaps the most attractive part of Comic-Con is the chance to cosplay, which means to dress up as a fictional character. Man, something I have never done. Don't ever think I will. Except so many people love doing it. For some of these attendees, the experience of costuming can be a difficult one, especially when it exacerbates their feelings of racial dysphoria. Madeline Dresden, our Life Lessons producer, discusses how difficult it can be to find the perfect costume as a non-white American. Halloween, Comic-Con, a murder mystery dinner party. These are all great occasions to get dressed up and be someone else for a night. Some people take that as an opportunity to show off their best features. But others, like me, just want to live out a nerddom as accurately as possible. It's not enough to look like a steampunk nurse or a zombie samurai. I want to be Princess Leia. I want to be awesome. There's a great, fun community out there for people who enjoy embodying another life. Does that make us weird? Nah, I think it makes us honest. Everyone idolizes a fictional character, but we costumers have the guts to go all out and try to be our idol, even if it's just for one night a year. Some lucky souls become actors and literally live-action role-play for the rest of their lives. It's okay for them to do it because it's their job, and we are entertained by watching them do it. But why do they get to have all the fun? We normal people want to experience what it's like to be awesome characters too, and a few times a year, we get that chance. That being said, I'm not here to argue for the virtues of costuming. You either do it or you don't. You either think it's insane or you know that it's a lot of fun. However, some people in my situation are in a third, somewhat unfortunate category. We know that costuming is fun and we really want to do it, but we don't have the right 
face for it. Yes, I'm talking about race. I'm turning this semi-trivial topic into a racial thing. But it is precisely in these seemingly minor instances that the predicament of Asian American otherness can be illustrated so clearly. A few years ago, the girls in my apartment building wanted to get together and do a Disney princess photo shoot for Halloween. So we got a knock on our front door from the girl in charge, and she gave us details for the shoot and asked that my apartment specifically come and participate. We instantly gathered what she was insinuating. Out of all the girls in our building, our apartment was the only one with any brown people in it. We had a Native American, me, an Asian, and my sister. To her credit, the girl asking us to come and be the ethnic Disney princesses was blushing. Of course, none of us were mad about being singled out for our ethnicities. We're used to it. And it was certainly better than the other girls having no sensitivity to race at all by whitewashing Mulan or Pocahontas. But still, you get an icky feeling when you realize that you'll probably never be asked to play a non-racially specific role, even when it's just for fun. Whether or not I relate to the non-white Disney princesses, they're all I can ever be. Luckily for me, Mulan is my favorite Disney heroine, but what about all my other heroines? What if I want to be Rose Tyler for Halloween? What if I want to cosplay as Galadriel or as Wonder Woman? I don't have the goods for those characters. No matter what color wig or contacts I wear, my face is still very Asian looking. What's the big deal, you might ask? It's not like cosplaying presents a life-threatening situation. Well, this silly little problem of mine is actually pretty indicative of the otherness I felt all growing up. And it's disheartening when, having been raised in white culture, I can't even pretend to be these white characters that I've been taught to admire. And like I said earlier, the whole point of costuming for many of us is to become someone else for a while, to feel awesome. So not being able to pull off a costume convincingly actually widens the gap between who I want to be and who I'm actually capable of looking like. And that's a very sad reality for non-white nerds like me. I'm not pretending to have any solutions to this very intricate and difficult issue, but I hope that whether or not cosplaying is your thing, by looking through the lens of believably dressing up as a fictional character, the complexities of racial otherness can be heightened. It's real, it's pervasive, and it's hurting more people than you realize. And rather than denying that issues such as typecasting, whitewashing, or racial dysphoria exist just because they don't happen to you, let's extend that same sense of community we feel as cosplayers to the sense of community we need to extend to those who feel alienated because of their race. Cosplaying is something that people from all walks of life can come together to do. So maybe it is through the art of dressing up that we are primed to finally address what it means for anyone, especially minorities, to want to try to be someone else for a while, even if it's just for one day. Interesting. I would never have thought that that was an issue, except because I see you playing doing cosplay all day long, Terry. That is a lie. But it's usually Wonder Woman, which is kind hey, of weird. Hey, hey, hey. I find that really weird. I'm with you on that one. So rude. It's interesting. Good job. You know, I'm telling you, Madeline is the deal. She... Just blew my mind. It's cool. And I still don't understand cosplay. Right. I mean, it's one thing, the racial diversity of it, and just, you know, not feeling a part of it. It's another thing that you're dressing up like a cartoon character. It seems like just being employed could help all of those people. <laughs> get a job. Just get a job. <laughs> 
Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and lead a healthier life. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program. We do what we can on this show three hours a day to give you the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. We're going to be talking about uh, one year to an organized life. It's about time. I'm going to, I'd like you all to read this book. One Year to an Organized Life by Regina Leeds. Not that you need it, but I need somebody to organize my life. You do kind of imply. I'm too, I'm too busy to organize my own life. Really? Yeah. No time to sit down and think about how to make things and process things better? No. All right. But I'd like you all to learn. I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I'd like you to learn how to organize my life. Oh, no. That's outside the job description. It's not about you and your life. It's about me. I did figure out how to get rid of those crazy ads off of my Google Chrome. How'd you do that? I just deleted Google Chrome. There you go. And I read. I read reinstalled reinstalled it yeah fixed why didn't anybody tell me that I don't know I didn't know you had ads on your oh your browser there it's crazy I was buying stuff I didn't even know I needed <laughs> they just kept sending me ads anyway five, uh, like five pounds of cornmeal yeah just get that I randomly don't even know in the what mail. to do with cornmeal that's right uh, speaking of cornmeal huh Barry San or Barry Sanders Barry Sanders running for president. Wow. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Bernie Sanders takes it uh, 56% to Hillary Clinton's uh, 43%. She's still wondering, what? Are you still here? Questioning now if he even is a Democrat. Yeah. I mean, is he a Democrat? He used to be a socialist. Now he's a socialist Democrat. A democratic socialist. Is yeah. that what they called him? The minute you're into the you know the weeds like that, it doesn't matter. There's something about the Bernie that you got to pay attention to. People like what he's saying, and she's not liking that he keeps bringing up where her money's coming from. Right. She, no, no one wants to be mad. questioned if something doesn't look quite right. Right. <laughs> Instead, he's raising money like crazy. He out he's out raising her. Yeah. A lot. He, say, he says the average donation to his campaign is about twenty seven dollars. Twenty seven dollars. He's had six million donors, and I think uh, it was the last month he, he didn't raise. I think overall he has he's raised one hundred and twenty one one hundred and twenty million to her seventy five million. I think that's like the last three months. Wow, he's doing okay. Yeah, so he's got enough money to just keep playing. Now he's going to go to New York. Yeah, that's the big thing. Can you fund what you want to do, and then you can he'll kind of ignore. You know, the polls, because yeah. he he's trying to make change. And if he can't actually win the White House, he'll make his com- competition actually have to discuss these issues. We're going to talk about it, except 
They sat him down with the Daily News editorial board, asked him a bunch of questions. Apparently, he really struggled. He did. He couldn't answer how he would fix the financial industry. He keeps talking about if a bank is too big to fail, it should fail. Right. And then they say, okay, how do you... Break, how do you break up a like uh, what Chase or J.P. Right. Morgan Chase? How do you break up a bank like that? Well, and there's already legislation, Dodd Frank legislation that you have to go by. That's the law now. Yeah. So he didn't have answers for and that. Then he said he didn't think the executive branch has the power to do that. And they said, well, how would you do it then? And he goes, well, that's not for me to decide. Goes, well, you keep talking about it. Yeah. So how would you do it? And he says. Probably through legislation, they go, but that hasn't worked. And they're like, well, right. you know, so he kind of stumbled there in the sense that there doesn't seem to be a plan backing up his it, it seems claim like what he wants it's, to do. It's an echo from the Donald Trump book where you finally corner him and you get him to where they can't get out of the interview and they don't have an answer. Hmm. Isn't that weird? You'd think they'd, they'd have thought this out by now. I mean, You'd hope, but fake it. The, the rest of the politicians are all just faking it with an answer. Yeah. I'd create a committee, formulate a, a coalition. Just use the word coalition and hire well, a czar. I would hire a finance czar. We'd have a financial czar to re. Well, that, that's what Donald Trump says. I'll hire good people. No, you hire a czar. He'll hire people. They'll be the greatest people. Well qualified, yeah. smartest people don't know what to do, and I mean essentially that's what a president does. Because right. I, I was listening to a uh, an interview yesterday, they're saying that every year the president, you get all these candidates who step up, they try to run for president, and instantly they try to all become economists. Right. They can fix the economy. Yeah. Here's how it works. Right. But but they're not going to do that. They'll hire people who will give them a plan and give them an idea what they want to do. They give them a framework, and then the economists try to make it work. Right. So hire them now. Well, they have teams, they say. But, but you got to have an answer. you got to have an answer to your biggest, your cornerstone subject, your topic. you got to have an answer. It's also why they do they – do, they rarely do one-on-one interviews. And when they do, the questions have been pre-approved mm-hmm. so they can try to keep on message. you got to stay don't, on message. Don't get into the weeds, yeah. the details, the things I don't I, know yet. <laughs> so you don't even need to get into the weeds, but you got to know what the weeds are. And you, you've, I've started seeing the, uh, the the TV interviews on Sunday mornings. They're trying to really pin down the candidates on mm-hmm. things and the candidates squirming to get out from <laughs> underneath the question. Don't and, make me answer this. This is also going to – Bernie's going to have more of this now because he's being seen now as legitimate. So yeah. when he's now legitimate, some of these questions are going to come. Hillary loved it. Of course she did. She loved that. Uh, on the Cruz side, Cruz is killing it apparently, but uh, you know Trump's going home to New York, where and the and the Northeast, where he's going to have probably a pretty good run. But now it's still pretty much the stop Trump. It's again a stop Trump vote does not mean a pro a pro Cruz vote. No. So I'm I'm worried because let's say people just wanted Trump stopped, and let's say you stop him, it doesn't mean you have an energized electorate for Cruz. No. So then what? And they freely have said that. <laughs> right. Constant interviews you see of people walking into polling places saying this is against Trump. Now, now, now Paul Ryan, his, his name's being thrown about. Yes. As like a third or fourth ballot vote when – He'll step in at the convention yeah. and save the party. When no one's moving for Trump. In fact, they let's say after third vote or whatever, they're moving away from Trump. But Cruz doesn't have enough. 
then somebody just throws out, how about Paul Ryan? And the next thing you know, wow. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he's in. And the next thing you know, everybody loves Paul Ryan. Is that what it is? Or do, everybody. Or, or do people just go nuts? Because I think even then, Hillary Clinton would love Paul Ryan. The last year has been a waste of time. And he didn't want that year. No. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, he just wants to work thrown, out in the morning, yeah. do his job, go see his kids. Can he doesn't want to be president. And just, <laughs> I just want to work out. I mean, quit nominating me for things. Don't you hate it? Like when you're sitting there just trying to do your job, and the next thing you know, you're nominated for president, and you didn't even run. Right. And you win. See, I don't want to be volunteered to do some menial task. Yeah. Did you just just help out somebody do something? It's right. like, don't volunteer me. I'll do it if I want to. But yeah, be president? That would be insane. Honey, I nominate you to go help Jerry um, weed his garden. Oh, jeez. My, my wife will go, hey, go brush your kid's teeth. I'm like, ah, that's your job. You nominated me. But if you're nominated, we nominated you to be the president because Trump and Cruz weren't cutting it. A downside, we need Trump to be the vice president. Oh, boy. But that's the kind of deals that get made. I know, something's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be Paul Ryan. He doesn't want it. No, but his name is being mentioned. There is a super PAC out there with money trying to push him as the candidate. Sure. He would be a fantastic candidate because he's young and he's he's a doer. And he's, I guess, would have the love of the the Christian wing of the GOP. And he's not any of the other candidates. If you're trying to save the Republican Party from itself, yeah. which many on the stop no well the no Trump side they're trying to do, at least that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. He would be the answer. He'd be the answer, except for the fact that everyone would feel like hold it. Trump has millions of votes. Why well, no? But you got to get your number. You yeah. got to hit the number. Right. What is it? Twelve thirty-seven. You got to hit that number. Oh, I was twelve thirty-five. And if you remember the fight for the speaker. Yeah. That was very contentious, and he didn't want it, but he was the guy that came in as, okay, we're going to try to unify our body here as we're fighting amongst ourselves with the extreme elements and the more moderate elements, and he's the guy that's going to bring everyone together. And he walked in and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything more than this, Mm -hmm. and I'm taking weekends off. (laughs) And get off my back. And they said, fine. And he's doing he's doing as good of a job can I think he, as you could do. Could he do that? Walk into the convention and do that as a as a candidate? Could well, he just I, lay out his? This is my stipulations. Yeah, I think it's going to get. I think no matter what happens, if Trump doesn't get it on like the first ballot, he's walking. Right, and then I think there will be problems where his supporters look as if they're being just completely discounted, mm-hmm. but then and ignored. His supporters will go with him. Then the key is – then you really need, I think, a moderate like Kasich or a Romney who can pull from the Democratic side. I don't know. I don't know that Romney's even in the game. But you need – you're going to have to pull somebody from the Democrat side because – Yeah. If, if, there, if, there's a, if there's a third party run – It's ugly. It's going to be it's very going, tough for the Republicans. See, this is why we need to be more organized. Right. Right. She and our Who, next guest will help us. Regina Leeds is uh, the author of the book uh, One Year to an Organized Life. The cover of her book there has a bunch of rubber duckies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that's insinuating getting your ducks in a row. Yeah, because they're in a row. Because they're actually in a row on the cover of the book. Ben actually thought that meant, oh, we're going to take a bath? Yeah. <laughs> it's bath time. Is it bath time? I thought it was bath strategy. <laughs> how, to get, how to get your ducks in a row. <laughs> yeah. No, not even close, Benjamin. 
Um, so we'll get to we'll get to Regina in just a few minutes. But first, let's get to the headlines. Get our ducks in a row. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. To recap, Ted Cruz won the Republican primary in Wisconsin. Bernie Sanders declared the winner for the Democratic side in a tough night for presidential frontrunners, with ninety nine percent of votes counted. Texas Senator uh, the Texas Senator defeated Donald Trump forty eight to thirty five. Sanders led Hillary Clinton fifty six to forty three. Uh, says that, uh, Bernie Sanders now has won six out of the last seven contests. Ted Cruz took at least 33 of the state's delegates, while Trump nabbed at least three. On the Democratic side, the delegates were split more evenly. Sanders captured 45. Clinton won at least 31. In a victory speech Tuesday night in Milwaukee, Senator Ted Cruz called his win in the Wisconsin primary a turning point in the race. Tonight is a turning point. It is a rallying cry. It is a call from the hardworking men and women of Wisconsin to the people of America. We have a choice, a real choice here in Wisconsin. A state that just three weeks ago, the media had written off of three weeks ago, the media said Wisconsin was a perfect state for Donald Trump. But the hardworking men and women of Wisconsin stood and campaigned tirelessly to make sure that tonight was a victory for every American. And that wasn't a revival. That was a victory oh, speech. Was that? Oh, I thought that was a revival. It kind of feels religious at times. Yeah, but Evangelical. Even. But no, it's a victory speech. Moving on, Bernie Sanders, who currently trails Hillary Clinton by 263 pledged delegates, is uh, not only believes he'll end up with more delegates than his opponent, he thinks he'll come out of a contested convention with the nomination political reports. So Bernie Sanders thinks the Democratic side will be contested also. Does he oh, he doesn't know that Hillary's got this wrapped up. Yeah. I think because I think it'll be an interesting Democratic convention Sanders campaign manager tells CNN the Sanders campaign doesn't think either candidate will get to the 2383 delegates needed to win the nomination outright and believes Sanders can swing support his way at the convention. That especially true. That's especially true if he's able to convince Clinton supporting superdelegates who are free to vote for anyone at the convention to change sides if their state supported him in the primary. Wow, cool. So he's, mm. he's going to try to uh, to get a contested convention. That would be great. Two contested. That would be great. That would be like the NCAA tournament. I would watch both conventions at that point. Oh, for sure. If it's just everyone, you know, a coronation, yay, we're going to, it's kind of boring. But if there's something to be decided, that's interesting. And if, if it's too close, a duel. A duel. We need to bring duels back. A Hamilton Burr duel. <laughs> and this this came out. This was interesting. Twitter reportedly beat out Verizon, Yahoo, Amazon, and Facebook to earn the rights to stream Thursday night NFL football games this upcoming season. Twitter. Wow. Really? Twitter's foray into online programming isn't an entirely unexpected one. The deal would help seal Twitter as the go-to place to watch and react to live events, especially as households increasingly cut cable subscriptions. While many had expected the deal to go to Amazon, Twitter and the NFL signed a two-year deal to distribute highlights and clips last year. CBS and NBC won the rights to broadcast Thursday night games earlier this year. Uh, the NFL, in an NFL statement, because there is a massive amount of NFL-related conversation happening on Twitter during our games and taping, uh, tapping into that audience, in addition to our viewers on broadcast and cable, will ensure Thursday night football is seen on an unprecedented number of platforms this season, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said. Mm. He did not mention the amount of money that Twitter gave them to Huge, do that. Huge, I'm sure. <laughs> but, I mean, really, they there already is a great, you know, format there to to communicate and talk about the games now it's it's 
It's just strange because you don't go to Twitter to watch no. like a program. You go to Twitter to read about things. Now they want you to go and they'll have some functionality where you tap a button and a football game pops up on your phone. Yeah, that's 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 the strange part. Yeah. Talking about the game I think is fantastic. But now a lot of people that don't even tweet have to go get a Twitter account, I guess, to watch a game. Watch a game. But I mean, it was the same thing uh, with uh, Yahoo. Well, no, they'll, uh, yet they, when Yahoo streamed it, they made it free. It was just available. You just clicked on the right, link and it was right. there. You had to go to yahoo.com, so you had to have the internet, but it was free yeah. for everyone. So I'm not sure if there's stipulations that way. Mm, so we'll have to see. But yeah, Twitter will be broadcasting, streaming Thursday night football. Thursday night football. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? Um, anyway, do you ever uh, feel like your closets are just out of control or that you can't find your keys? You're just disorganized. Well, stick with us, folks. Regina Leeds, author of the book, One Year to an Organized Life, From Your Closets to Your Finances. She's going to talk about her week-by-week guide to completely getting organized for good. Interesting, interesting insights, folks. Order, structure, your closets. They need it. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Talking organization up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what happened to my keys? Have you ever asked that question, like, today? Why is this room such a mess? What time was my appointment again? These are all questions that we ask ourselves at least once a day. Imagine not having to worry about any of these things. An organized life enables you to have more time, less aggravation, better health, and to get more done. Our next guest, Regina Leeds, author of One Year to an Organized Life, She's online with us uh, this morning to help us understand some tips on living a more organized life. Regina Leeds, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thank you so much. Good to have you on the show. And is it your birthday, young lady? It, yes, it is. Happy <laughs> yes, it is birthday to you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. That is so great. This is our little uh, happy birthday song because we can't afford the rights to the real song. So, Regina, it's your birthday, and you're on. What, what have you got planned today? Anything fun? I do. I have, I have another interview after this. And believe it or not, those are the two. Those are like gifts to me from the universe because I love to do this. Do you? Good. And then I'm having lunch with some friends and then dinner with some other friends. Holy it's cow. It's an eating day. I that's know, right. It's an eating day. <laughs> that's that's the way every day should be an eating day, Regina. What? Uh, it's interesting because you've probably – uh, got a, a great life. I, I, I just imagine you're sitting in this like, pr- cr- you know, this pristine house. Everything's clean. Everything has its place. Do you have one? Do you have anything on the floor right now, Regina? My dog. Okay, <laughs> that's where the dog belongs. Uh, any socks? No, no. I really do practice what I. That's treat. great. I, I'm I'm not the shoemaker with holes in my children's shoes. <laughs> Good. Well, no, but it it really is. This is something I think we need because this getting organized. It really is. There's something that's calming about it that just that helps calm the mind, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, there's a belief. Uh, uh, 
as within, so without. So mm. if you've got a storm in your mind, you're going to have a storm in your environment. And it, it also works the other way, as without, so within. So if you, if you are in mental chaos, if you start to calm the exterior, then you start to calm yourself down. And that's, um, that's a very sweet way to live. I mean, it's not that I never have an upset. It's just that I don't have upsets like, where are my keys mm-hmm. and why am I late for that appointment? I just ex- have expunged those from my life. Well, that are fixable and predictable. I mean, if, why on earth do we need to complicate our lives with, with looking Absolutely. for our keys? But, you know, Matt, that, wow, that's a, that's a bingo response because uh, we unconsciously do that because there are things that we don't want to face and we don't want to do and we don't want to be responsible for. And, um, you know, we can look very busy and very noble if we're running around going, I don't know why I can't find my keys. I don't know why I, I just couldn't get this report ready. I don't know why this or that, you know, and uh, everybody can relate to it. And we just don't realize that, oh, oh, wait, I may be creating this to avoid other things. So that's that's one of the things to take into account. And of course, it doesn't have to be complicated and psychological. It could simply be that you grow up in a household with one or two parents who didn't have a clue about how to be organized. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill. So if you didn't have anybody to teach you, it's like wondering why you don't play the piano if you never had a piano or a <laughs> lesson. Well, right. you know, you didn't have the opportunity. So you can always learn how to get organized. And, and you do it. Uh, I mean, there's there's other organizers out there and, and people that try to teach how to find an organized life. But you, you do it, it seems like, in a different way. You have a different approach. Well, I like to take all of you into account. I like to say that what I'm doing is holistic. So, for instance, I don't know of any other organizer who talks about how to prepare for an organizing project. You know, it's it's generally not something you're excited about doing. Right. It's, so, so that adds to it. But it's going to take um, a block of time, and it's going to take some emotional and physical energy. So you, how are you going to do that? You're going to be using your body. So you've got to prep your body. You've got to have a good meal before you start. You want to have nice, nice, healthy snacks on hand, and you certainly want to stay hydrated so you can have water um, at easy reach so you can keep going. And you'd be surprised that those things keep your blood sugar raised. And then what's the engine that runs the organizing train? decisions. Yeah, the brain. And there is such a thing as decision fatigue. So if you're if you keep replenishing the physical, then it is easier to make uh, decisions and to keep going. So I talk about that and then it's I think that everybody was born for a purpose and it's going to be easier to accomplish your purpose if you're not looking yeah. for those famous keys or stepping over piles. So I have a higher purpose for you to get all this done, not just, you know, an afternoon where you can't see your friends and you have to stay home and take care of the X, Y, Z piles. And, oh, boy, poor me, I really hate this. You, you can learn to see it as creative and fun. No, oh, I love that. And and you, you even kind of met it out in a in a dose. So it's like it's going to take a year to do this. So you don't have to do it all today. Let's just do this little part today and let's do this part next week and kind of week by week, really, month by month. 
You know, Matt, I, I chose the format of the year, and, and no, I don't think there's anybody who's literally going to spend a year because very few people have everything that I mentioned in the book. I just covered everything in a life. So, for instance, you might not be taking a trip this year, so you would only have to read that chapter. Right. Most people aren't moving in a year, so you have the whole month of August free. Free. Um, yeah. You might have certain areas of the home under control and just have to do others. You might not have a, a basement or garage. Uh, an attic. So everything is covered, but it might not be everything you have to cover. Mm -hmm. And I also build downtime in. You know, I build it on a four-week month, and every 13 weeks you have that extra week. So there's always time for you to catch up, and there's a lot of planning involved. I don't want you to just race into a room and, you know, there's this new, uh, well, it isn't new. There are actually a lot of organizers who suggested, but uh, Marie Kondo's made it very famous, that you take everything from a category, like your clothing, and make a pile on the floor. And I just can't imagine any worse advice on planet Earth. It's, I just can't <laughs> imagine doing that. I think it's disrespectful to your clothes. I think if you get interrupted, you're in a pickle. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think uh, a lot of the things you may decide you want to keep are now going to be on the bottom of that pile and they're going to be wrinkled. So I ask you to make a plan before you start doing the physical work. You know, what do you, for instance, in your bedroom, what do you like about your bedroom? What needs to be changed? Um, always have, it's like going on a trip with or without a map. If I leave Los Angeles for New York, I can get there without a map. But if I plan my journey, it, you know, again, I might actually have a good time. Yeah, you can change. Yeah, and know when to rest and also know what parts of the country you want to see. I mean, really, it makes sense, right? How did you get started into all of this? I mean, what makes somebody decide, I'm going to write a book on being organized? (laughs) Well, it was all serendipity because I, I, uh, well, first of all, I was raised by the original organizer, and that was my mother, who a thousand times a day said to me, Regina, there is a place for everything, and everything (laughs) must be in its place, so the next time you need it or want it, you'll be able to find it. My mother lived by that principle, and it never occurred to me that I would be teaching that to other people, because that's the crux of an organized life. Um, So I was always organized, and uh, I was, the first part of my life, I was an actress, and I was working on a on a film, and Jonathan Winters said to me one day, he said, Regina, he said, you have to make your neuroses pay. I'm crazy, and I make a million dollars a year because of it. And there you go. I literally thought about that for 10 years, and I thought, well, what am I neurotic about that anybody would pay me for? And when, when and then one day, I, could, I remember the moment that when it came to me, that oh my gosh, I could say I'm neurotically organized so I can teach other people. And at that time, it was 27 years ago, There, I think there were three books. There, there, nobody knew what a professional organizer was. And I, I had a friend who was getting ready for a test to enter the, the uh, uh, become a professional makeup artist in the industry. And there's a big test you have to take. And I said, let me see if I can organize you. I can organize myself, but if I can't do it for other people, then then this isn't my answer. And um, I organized her, and I've never advertised. I've just had clients. That I'm, I've always been word of mouth, which hmm. I like, because then I know where I'm going right, right. <laughs> in somebody's home. Um, but uh, then 10 years later, I decided to move out of acting and just do organizing. And 
uh, I thought, I'm going to write one book because I think differently about organizing. I see it from the psychological and spiritual aspects that nobody at that time was adding into the mix. So I wrote a book, and nobody understood what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> and I, I self-published. I sold 1,500 copies. I got a book contract, and then I've just written my 10th book. I've never looked back. I just keep getting asked for the next one and the next one, and I write different aspects of organizing. Um, and that's, that's how it happened. It was, it was sort of, it's sort of like the way Joseph Campbell promises you it will be. If you follow your bliss, the road beckons and the doors open, and it wasn't anything that I planned. Hmm. Isn't that, I mean, again, it's, it's just, it seems like the more natural way. It just appears. And there it is. Yes. Yeah. Well, you see, then I was doing what I felt I was born to do, and and acting and the fact that as an actress I had been in therapy to be a better actress, all of these things dovetailed together because as an actress, when I give teach a seminar, I'm very at home on stage. I have a wonderful time. Um, having been in therapy, in therapy to be a better actress, I found that that enabled me to understand my clients mm-hmm. who, usually feel tremendous fear and shame just for the fact they had to call me in and that they haven't done this for themselves. And so, you know, I can, through conversation, through fun, I don't sit down and do a therapy session with you. We just have a good time. But I can help you usually find what is that that we have to unlock and let go of. Yeah, I love it. You know, a, a client met me at the door one day and she said, Oh, I don't think we can work together today. I think I've made a terrible mistake calling you. <laughs> I oh. said, really? Why? She said, well, I saw my brother yesterday, and I told him what I was going to be doing today. And he said to me, don't bother. We weren't born with the organizing gene. <laughs> yeah, we're not organizers. <laughs> oh, Regina, said, that's great. Yeah, I said, nobody is. Uh, sure, it's easier for some people than others, but... If I played the piano by ear, that wouldn't mean I didn't have to take lessons. That's right. You, st- you still got to you still got to learn how to do it, and um, we'll have more. Regina, stick with us. We're going to continue this discussion, and we're going to start to learn. Where do we begin to uh, organize our minds, our lives, our hearts, and um, and be able to find the peace that Regina's been talking about? Stick with us. More with Regina Leeds and her book, One Year to an Organized Life, right after the break. to the Matt Townsend Show. Honored to have Regina Leeds on the phone. Uh, she is the New York Times bestselling author and uh, has written more than nine books. If you go to her website, reginaleads.com, you can find out more about all of her different uh, organizing tips, her blog as well. The book we're talking about today is One Year to an Organized Life from Your Closets to Your Finances, The Week-by-Week Guide to Getting Completely Organized for Good. Regina Leeds, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much. To me, this is uh, so needed, I think, for all of us. Talk to us about uh, where we get started. How and what what should we do to just the average Joe out there to get started to organize our lives? 
Well, the first thing you have to remember is that getting organized is a skill, and you you learn it, and then you can apply it everywhere. And by that, I mean if if you don't have a mo- big emotional attachments to clothing, that's a good place to begin. But I think it took me about three years to realize, wait a minute, no matter where I am in the house or an office, I'm doing the same three steps. So everything is the same. What changes are the things that I hold in my hand. Hmm. And so it's important to understand that once you dive in and learn the basic principles, you're just reapplying them wherever they need to be applied. You don't have to learn kitchen organizing or bathroom organizing or how to set up a file system. It's really all the same. So... There are five things I say you need to know to get started. And the first is a principle. And it's a principle that you're going to repeat to yourself like a mantra every time you feel overwhelmed, want to run out of the room and say, oh, forget about it. I don't have to do this. And that is the whole of anything is overwhelming. So you're going to break things down into small, manageable chunks. You walk into your office. Oh, my gosh, this is too much. I can't do this. No, you're not doing your whole office. You're, You're just going to do your desk. And you're not even doing your whole desk. You're just going to do this pile of papers on the left-hand side. And in that pile of papers, you're only going to do maybe a top half inch at a time. And from that half inch, you're going to go one paper at a time, making decisions. You're going to build steam and confidence as you go. So remember, when you're overwhelmed, stop and breathe and say, i got to break this down and work smaller. Yeah. That is a great – and that is a principle. Universal. That will work everywhere in life and world everywhere. Oh, yes, it will work everywhere in life, yes. The, the second thing is, are, are actually three steps. Uh, so it's two, three, and four. But I have them grouped together, and I call them the magic formula because you can use this for anything, any part of your life. The first thing I have to do is eliminate. I need to remove from the space, from the project, from my life, what I don't need, don't want, don't no longer use, And it is the most creative of the three steps because you could toss, you could recycle, you could find somebody who needs it, you could donate to a charity and get a tax deduction, you can give it to a relative or a friend. This is the the creative, this should be the fun step. As I'm working that, every time I make a decision to keep something, I want to start creating categories. And categories are easiest to see in the closet just because we all have clothes. So shoes are together. Blouses are together. Jewelry is together. Lingerie is together. You know what I mean? Like all suits are together. So you keep brethren. All related items Mm. are together. Because whether those categories are in your closet or your pantry or um, you're running a home-based business and you sell product, wherever those categories are, your inventory is making you powerful. You always know what you need. You know when you're running out. You don't waste money. You're in the store. I think I need, you know, another can of chicken soup, and then you get home and find you have 50. So categories make you strong and Mm. powerful. And that's part of the eliminating process. So as I'm eliminating, I'm kind of, I'm putting them into their categories. Well, you're you're eliminating and ca- you're eliminating what you don't need, and at the same time, you're deciding what you do yeah, need. Yeah, and categorizing. What you do need goes into a category. Okay, great. So flip sides of the same coin. Yep. And then the last step is you get organized, and that's when. Now, how can I make this uh, uh, category beautiful to look at? Because every time I come to it, I want to be happy that I'm there. 
it has to be completely functional because physical beauty without function is meaningless. And then it has to be easy to maintain based on who you are and how you think. And it's at that point that you need someone like me or a a book like some like one that I've written, where that's where you learn the tips and the tricks and what products would be best and you know how do I how this is where this is the modus operandi this is the skill set you have to learn hmm. so eliminate categorize organize and you're on your way and and, and then the, this 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 is interesting to me I'm just thinking because there's also this is about technology you could use these exact same principles managing your uh, your inbox on your email as well. You can use it for anything. Everywhere. Actually, Matt, the, the epilogue to in One Year to an Organized Life, what I say is you've spent a year practicing skills in physical form. You've been working with stuff. But now the, the skill set is a part of you. And I tell how I used it. Uh, July, I will be a 14-year cancer survivor. Mm. And I talk about how I use those very skills Eliminate, categorize, organize, don't get overwhelmed by the whole, and the last step is maintenance. Um, how I use those to work my way through mm. what I had to do, which was completely overwhelming. Yeah. And, uh, and so it can be for projects at work. It can be for, you know, my kids are driving me crazy. Wait, this is overwhelming. How can I break the You know, it's, yeah. it, it's, there is no place where it won't help you. And it's... And again, and, and it's holistic. It's healing, right? I can imagine if somebody – I just think of like my desk uh, at home. If I could go through this process, how healing it would be at the end to have a functional, beautiful workspace that now is 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 safe and I can have people in there and I feel whole. Yes, it opens up your life in many ways and it also – now you have to confront if you have a little BS going on about, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I have to get organized. Or, oh, yeah, I'd right. love to do that, but I know I have to find my keys. Well, all of that is gone. So now you're free uh, to make an adult decision and say, you know what, I don't want to do this. Oh, I can't do this, whatever, rather than saying I would love to, but I have to dot, dot, dot. You're, yeah. you're, you're free of that. It's really... Um, I think it's wonderful. And stuff, you know, Matt, stuff is noisy. Yeah. I, I look at some pictures. I love design. Oh, my goodness. I love design. And design is part of organizing. Um, and sometimes I look at a room or an area that's been put together, and I think, I couldn't sit there for five minutes. There's too much going on. Stuff on every. You know, if you, when you're doing your desk, for instance, when one is doing one's desk, be careful that you don't have too many pictures or too many plants. And also with the pictures, you know, you can have one of those rotating programs so your computer's always popping up with surprise photos. Mm -hmm. Because what I see most often, and it's very sweet, I'll look at the client's desk and I'll say, oh, is this your son? Is this your daughter? And I see a little person, like five, six years old, and then I find out that that, that is indeed their child and they just graduated from college or... <laughs> They're married and have children. And so just be very careful in every way that you don't freeze frame your life. I mean, and that um, is it because, right, we, we it's almost like we're afraid to get rid of the stuff. If If somebody out there really has a harder time letting go of stuff or eliminating stuff, uh, what what should we – what would you suggest for them? 
I don't mean to promote the book, but I have in the book. <laughs> Do you know that's book, great? I have, a, I have a lot of questions you can ask yourself because it's a com- it's complex. I mean, it, one of the things, uh, for instance, uh, I I had a mom. Uh, her son was 13, and when I met her, she was uh, 54 or 55. And in her, in her closet, she had uh, her favorite dress from when she was pregnant. And I said, you know, let's make a choice to do something creative with this because you're not going to wear it again. <laughs> let's either give it to a charity so that somebody who can't afford a beautiful dress like this while she's pregnant can have it, or... If you, if you don't want to let it go, let's get a shadow box and put a picture of you in this dress and then pin a swatch of fabric from the dress and a couple other mementos uh, from that time period. Now I have a conversation piece. Now I have a part of my past that I can look at every day rather than just having a dress stuck in a closet. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk yourself through the process of what attaches you to this thing. I had a, a mom, uh, I'll never forget, I, she happened to be, I remember, she was 61 when I worked with her, and she lived in tremendous regret that she had given away the yellow rain slickers her sons wore mm. when they were little guys and they lived a year abroad. And there's no point for that regret because even if you have the yellow slickers, even if you have every single item that they wore at that time, it will not take you back to that time. No. So, you know, whether it's uh, answering the journal, I have journal questions for each area of the home so you can unhook yourself from what attaches you. I, I, you know, the popular question now is, does it spark joy? And if it doesn't, bingo, it's gone. Hmm. That to me is way too simplistic. I think we're more complex human beings than asking one simple question. So I think it's, it's an archaeological dig into your own psyche. And you can learn a lot about yourself. Are you a fear-based person? You know, people who say about everything, oh, no, I might need that one. Yeah, I might. I'm, I, that's, that's my favorite line. I might need that one. Day. Well, Regina, we got to go, but I love the book, uh, and I love the idea. One year to an organized life. Everybody go look it up. One year to an organized life. And we'll have Regina back to talk about other topics like organized work life, organized financial life, and organized life with a baby, folks. The principles, they apply everywhere. And uh, the conversations are essential. Uh, that's, I think, a big key to the healing. Um, more, um, We'll have Regina back. And uh, go look up her website, reginaleads.com. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you uh, think about organizing, great psychology uh, that Regina was talking to us about. What is it that keeps you stuck, right? What else, What keeps you hanging on? I mean, organization's just kind of a process of habit, isn't it? And a process of learning. But when you start to see the piles emerge, it's it's probably more of a sign of overwhelm um, or, you know, somewhere in your thinking process, you just don't know how to unhook. 
Man, a local couple, uh, this is a crazy story. It was a case of missing wedding rings. This is why you need to get organized, folks. It could cost you a lot of money. Two rings lost in eight tons of trash. One of them with a 12-and-a-half-carat diamond worth $400,000. And the Scuteris of Clarkson Valley, Missouri, had to get dirty, stinky, and lucky to get those rings back. It started in the Scuteri family kitchen Sunday afternoon. Sunday night, her husband was cleaning up around the sink, and early Monday morning, the Meridian Waste uh, Truck picked up their garbage. Carlos Guiteri's rings were mixed in with the garbage of more than 900 other customers. After a few prayers and phone calls, the Skiteris realized her rings were in the garbage. Minutes before they hit the landfill, Meridian diverted their truck to a transfer station, and the dig was on. Oh, what a cool company, though. Yeah, someone just like, sorry. Oh, work's over. Everybody home. Can you imagine going to a landfill? And digging through garbage. Joe Evans of Meridian Waste ended up finding the rings. The rings are insured, but it's the sentimental value. And the Skateri's digging through rotted food and dirty diapers, folks. It's created a memory. But they found their rings. What have you lost before? And what are the costs of your uh, being disorganized? Sometimes it's just... It's stressful, right? It just stresses you out. You might end up yelling at the family as you run back in looking for your keys. Sometimes the the disorganization might actually embarrass you because, you know, you forgot to turn in a project or you forgot the date on a project that was due today. Sometimes it can cost your job if you're not careful. So it's just organization, right? And obviously some people are more naturally organized. Some, you know, think better through things. But in the end, uh, watch the stories you're telling. That's one of my big lessons from Regina today, because we're always going to tell the story that suits us. And uh, just because we have a story to tell doesn't mean we're fixing the problem. Also, maybe blow up the illusion that you're not that type of person. Uh, In my book, I talk a lot about the fact that Townsends don't do math. We're not math people. We don't do math. Except, interestingly, I do. I do, I, you know, my brain works pretty fast with the old numbers. It's just I didn't think I could do it. So sometimes your thought process is the thing that's driving your lack of success or um, your habits. So make some habits. Learn what you can and, and just start eliminating. If you want, go get the book One Year to an Organized Life. Um, if not, go look at her blog. I'm sure you can read and get enough information on her blog at uh, reginaleads.com that you'll get the information you need. But let's do something different. Opinions expressed reflect the opinions of the show host and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff and management of BYU Radio. Thank you. Don texted me and told me to play that. I do want that, so, yeah. yeah. I don't blame him. I don't even like what I said. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Good times. Um, hopefully helping you lead a healthier life. And at least, you know, getting rid of the junk so you're not making ice cream in the bathtub. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us one more hour to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy plan your epitaph day. Today's the day you're going to need to write your epitaph. What's an epitaph? It's what is going to be, what are you going to be remembered for? What do you want, you know, those, what do you want in your grave site, at your, at your grave site on your tombstone? Eternal glory. Okay. Ice cream. Those, those, those are the words. Um, and the president of the United States. Wow. Really? Yeah. Man, you're going to be disappointed. Well, I, I figure as long as it's on my gravestone, it doesn't really yeah. matter if I was the no, president or not. Or just people the, will walk by and we're like, oh, yeah, I, I yeah. remember that guy. Or like maybe, oh, cute little man, thought he was president. No, I think, I think they'll assume that I was president. Well, wouldn't they know? I mean, there's well, only so many presidents. Yeah, but you, you've seen like those videos where people are asked what the first president of the United States were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and they never get it. And so well, that, I, I could insert myself into history that way. Well, yeah, but, you know, people will know. I don't Mo- even think Most people won't, I don't think. Wow. If I get a nice spot in some you well-known graveyard. Benjamin J. Wasden. You don't think they'll think president? He was never president. They might mistake me with Benjamin Harrison. Yeah. Well, that's wishful thinking. That's a great epitaph. I want my epitaph to say, I told you I was sick. <laughs> Dang, that's great. I told you I was sick, exclamation point. Then just, everyone's like, oh, boy. Just guilt listened. them the last yeah. little. Should have listened to dad. I told you it was swollen. <laughs> And they're going to say, we believed you. No. <laughs> so prepare. Today is the day. You prepare your epitaph. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want inscribed on your tombstone? It's also Caramel Popcorn Day, which is honestly better than writing your epitaph. Even better, National Twinkie Day. Today is the day that it, you start eating Twinkies and you preserve yourself so that when you die, you will be preserved forever because you have so much, so many of the great Twinkie particles in your body. Mm. Ben, put the Twinkie down, pal. Benjamin. I'm almost done. Mr. President, put the Twinkie down. Oh, so good. That is such a nasty sound. Uh, happy National Twinkie Day. It is uh, a day that must be celebrated and you know, it's a day that we should all enjoy. I know I know. Terry loves to just pull out a Twinkie and just kick back after the show. Oh, yeah. Or two. I like how you suck all of the... Uh, the cream filling? Is that what that is? Mm, allegedly. The white Crisco? It doesn't really matter what it is. It mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, so good. If they sold, say, a spray can of that stuff, <laughs> all over it. You'd be into that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a great time at... Uh, I was on spring break with my family, sitting by the pool, eating some Cheez-Its. 
Wow. And a kid was next to me just looking at me like, how come he gets Cheez-Its? It wasn't it's, one of your kids, was it? No. Oh. It's a retirement snack, right? Cheez-Its? No. It's known for its retirement. No, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. The retirement benefits of Cheez-Its? Yeah. No, it's mm. just like you see a lot of old people eating now, were Cheez-Its. You, were you eating the normal-sized Cheez-Its or the large Cheez-Its? They were the normal size but in the family box. Ooh. The normal old... flavor or Parmesan? No, they or... were the normal uh, orange Cheez-Its okay. that have that color that is not natural to nature. Right. Yeah. The orange Cheez-It. All right. The original. Okay. I like to call it the original. I know they have different varieties. Yeah. Maybe a whole wheat. No, no. A fiber-enriched no. no. Cheez-It? My wife bought them, and I didn't even know we had them until all of a sudden I saw this box. Did our, you just plowed right through the bottom? In our swim bag. Your swim bag. And then, no, I, I realized that I don't eat Cheez-Its very often. Is there a reason? Because they seem gross to me. But when you're at the pool, hmm. dehydrating, sweating, and smelling like burnt flesh. So a salty cracker is the best thing to have when you're dehydrated. That's exactly right. But if you needed water, you had an entire pool right there. I know. Except I learned another lesson from a mom there hmm. whose son kept drinking pool water until <laughs> okay. he got sick. Chlorine isn't Don't good to ingest. drink the pool water. Okay. And then I'm like, you want to cheese it? <laughs> hey, little kid. You want to cheese it instead? <laughs> Mama doesn't want you to drink the pool water. It's fun because my kids are not old enough. I mean, they're so old. They're 10. How old? 10 and 12 are my youngest two. Are you so sure? I, we don't need to watch them anymore at the pool. Right. So I end up watching everyone else's kid. I feel like the babysitter. Hmm. Hey, 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 hey. Don't hit him with that. And the mom looks at me like, what's it your business? You're all, I've got this. It's okay. I'm like, that guy is loaded with pool water. A couple more hits and we're all going to have to empty the pool for a while. So you're the fun police is what you're, mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Ben was asking me how do I how to impress women. And he came to me because he knew, man, Dr. Matt, nobody can impress a woman like you. I, I think you hmm. overheard my conversation with the producers outside. Somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you assumed that I was talking to you. Well, anyway, this is, the, this is, the, okay. this is what Ben ought to do. Here's your advice. This is what totally impresses a woman. A guy from Lincoln, Nebraska, weirdly, unfairly was arrested. Unfairly. Uh, this Lincoln man, he fired off a gun in an attempt to impress a woman. He's like, hey, check this out. Watch this. Bam. And, you know, John Jett. Yes, that's his name. Not Joan Jett. That's no, different. John, no, no, Jett, no. John A. Jett. And no relation to Joan. 34 was arrested just before midnight Monday. Jet was taken to jail and charged with discharging a firearm in the city limits, disturbing the peace, and resisting arrest. Huh. Officials said Jet was firing the gun to get the attention of a woman who lived outside the apartment complex. Do you have to know the girl in order for it to be impressive? Actually, no. Because I'm going to a dance tonight. Take, take a gun, but only fire it into the air. Make sure there's no airliners overhead. Opinions expressed reflect the opinions of the show host and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff and management of BYU Radio. I got another text from Don. Man, we, we've been playing a lot of those. Do you start with something like, hey, you're pretty, and hey, then shoot? Hey, pretty girl! Bam! <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> All right. Make sure you get her attention. Yeah, yeah. You go, hey, wave your hands. Yeah. You're pretty, shoot the gun, and she's yours. I like girls! Bam! And I figure there are probably at least 100, 100 girls at the dance, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, this will, let me just tell you, 
you will be you'll be remembered. You'll also be recognized. Like like in my a tombs, tombstone will say, "Died in glory." You don't have to die. There's no death involved. But you arrested, just get arrested. Arrested in well, shame. My, my epigraph, right, or whatever it's epitaph? called. Epitaph. Epitaph. Epigraph. Epigraph would be different. Your epitaph would say. When, when are you doing this? Um, tonight. Okay. Can you call Garrett and see if he can fill in tomorrow morning for you? Yeah. He probably won't have just, to. Just see. Just, just make see. sure. We like to plan ahead. This doesn't seem like it's going to end. No, well. no. I'll I'll be here. Don't worry. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure you won't. I mean. I might even bring my new girlfriend. So. <laughs> Your new girlfriend with Provo Police Department? Yes. No. No. Yes, absolutely. Just try it. I mean, we try to give you information. We can't do everything for you. So if just try it. But make sure you yell, hey, pretty girl. Bam. And, and hold the gun above your ear. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, if you fire it right by your ear, you'll pay. You'll regret that. It'll hurt, headaches, all that kind of stuff. So get it up in the air. I got another text from Don to play that piece. I feel like it's a little bit tacky to play, though, more than once in a segment. Oh, really? Oh, the disclaimer? Yeah. I think it's pretty much well known that most of what's said isn't supported by those people who are in the are in the management of such stations as BYU so Radio. Should I, should I ignore Don's text if oh, I no. receive I, it? Ignore is a little strong. Okay. But but you pass the message on, we understand, and I think the listeners understand. Yeah. Nobody nobody was injured in this advice yet. <laughs> I'll tell you how it goes tomorrow. Yeah. Right. How it went. Yeah, follow up on that. If you know what else I would do? If you're if you happen to be with other people, mm-hmm. Let them borrow your phone and film it. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That would be fantastic. But have them tag me on Facebook, right? Well, it'll be your phone. You can tag yeah, yourself. That, well, true. actually, you probably won't get your phone back for a while. Yeah, Let so them you need tag to you. send it to me, okay. like video, and send it before the cops get to Let's you. Let's actually just send a team out with him. I don't know if we want to have more people, innocent bystanders in the area. That's a great point. Wait, what do you mean yeah. innocent bystanders? No, it's not. It's just a technical it's a, term. Yeah, it's a it's term. A, it's a media term. Okay. Yeah. You're fine. When, when we send innocent producers. Just send the video before you get arrested so we can have it. Arrested? If the cops show up, just you know, send the video before they come talk to you. No, I mean okay. arrest bit. Yeah. Arrest bit. Oh, you'll, okay. You'll yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This will be great. You're in for a good night. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks yeah. for the and advice. one square meal at least. Um, good luck to that. <laughs> and then like we had the, the, the story last week, yeah. the guy did a Yelp review uh-huh. or oh. a Yelp-like review inside From a prison. British prison. Yeah. So, Ben, you could do a, a review of whatever the Provo holding facility is. Maybe see, just see if you can – just see when you get there if you could actually hide your phone well enough to keep it into prison or sneak it into the jail center. And then you could do some reviews and let us know what it's like. It mm-hmm. could be a, a fine – a finely equipped facility, not just a cement block that they kind of stick you in. He's dead. Do you think they'd let me come to the show and work? Sure. Oh, I'm sure there. they will. Sure they will. Obviously. Okay. But again, check with Garrett. Just okay. make sure we have coverage if if yeah. needed. Are okay. you sure? No, no, no. You're fine. Okay. You're fine. Wait, I, I don't want to tip him off. It'll be good. You'll have fun. You'll have fun. Okay. Cool. I'm excited. This, uh, we are too. This is going to be great. Uh, so jo- join us tomorrow to find out how uh, Ben attracts a date firing a firearm into the air <laughs> after he yells, Hey, pretty girl. It's going to be great. And he'll do it. In a It'll few minutes, uh, we are going to go back. 
to an oldie but a goodie, a great interview. We talked uh, with John G. Miller about leadership at home and how your leadership at home with your family affects the rest of your life. A great interview that we uh, did back in January, and uh, we'll be talking about the power and, and tools you can have and use to raise a healthy family, being a home leader. But first, let's get to the headlines. Terry, a leader in his own right. What's up with the news, Terry? Thanks, Matt. In Wisconsin, Bernie Sanders beats Hillary Clinton. Ted Cruz tops Donald Trump in the Wisconsin primaries. The Vermont senator now has six out of the – he's won six out of the last seven contests. Cruz took at least 33 of the state's delegates while Trump napped at least three in the Democratic contest. The delegates were split more evenly. Sanders captures at least 45 and Clinton won at least 31 delegates. So that's Wisconsin. Now we're moving on. I believe the next big one is on the 19th in New York. And Wyoming this Saturday for... I said big one? Oh, yeah. You're sa- oh, rude. Uh, Wyoming people are people, too. They're people also. Mm-hmm. Not New York, though. All right. Okay. Different people. Multiple sources told Political that layoffs, outburst, layoffs and outbursts from Corey Lewandowski and a lack of attention to detail are to blame for low morale among Donald Trump campaign staffers. Since March, several field staff workers have been laid off. Many members of the South Carolina, Florida, and Ohio teams have not had their contracts renewed, according to sources. Mm. One layoff in particular has made a huge impact. The leader of the data team was let go, and because he didn't train a success a successor, the campaign is now unable to access some data. Another source has several staffers and advisors left the campaign to protest the way they've been managed, and many uh, that remain have low morale because of layoffs and campaign manager Lewandowski's profan- profanity-laced campaign calls. Wow. The campaign says that everything's great. We're good. Nah, don't look here. Just everybody walk away. So there's rumors of infighting and problems in the Trump campaign. Wow. But the Trump campaign officially says everything's great. Hmm. Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant signed the controversial Protecting Freedom of Conscience from Government Government Discrimination Act. What? The Protecting Freedom of Conscience from Government Discrimination Act. Okay. He signed that into law on Tuesday, saying that he did so to protect the rights of people with deeply held religious beliefs. The bill has drawn national attention with groups calling for the governor to veto the bill. The governor signed the bill and went on the radio in in Mississippi defending his choice, saying government, the, the bill prevents government from interfering with people of faith who are exercising their religious beliefs in a matter of marriage, Hmm. in matters of marriage. Bryant said it would not allow discrimination of anyone. Though many people feel what it's doing is going to make uh, an, uh, an environment for discrimination. Yeah, this is the the, the freedom of the yeah. So we'll see religion. what happens. Um, there's another bill. There was a bill like it in Georgia, yeah, but it was vetoed by the governor. And remember, he's the one that said that just because all these businesses lined up, like Disney, Marvel, and right, a bunch of right. other ones, and said that we're not going to do business in your town and in your state, and because all the religious people lined up on the other side, he said neither group influenced his idea, his ideas to veto that bill in Georgia. He was he was going to veto it anyway. He was independent of the, yeah. all that. Okay, which is seen as not true because <laughs> everything influences you. 
Um, federal agents are set up a fake university to expose immigration fraud and arrested 21 people, some of who acted as brokers for more than 1,000 foreigners looking to maintain student and work visas, prosecutors said on Tuesday. Officials said those accused were unaware that the University of Northern New Jersey did not exist. Most foreign nationals who were involved in the ruse came from China and India. The nationals who were affected will not be prosecuted, officials said. This was just another stop on the pay-to-stay tour, said Paul Fishman, U.S. Attorney for New Jersey. Hmm. Pay to stay. Pay to stay. So they shut down this fake university that was just trying to get people well, it visas. Wasn't, it wasn't Trump University. No, they made a, a clear point there. It's the University of Northern New Jersey. Okay. Good. There you go. Uh, Warner Brothers has been toying with getting its Looney Tunes characters back on the big screen for some time, and it may finally be happening. Deadline reports that the company is currently developing an animated heist film. That'll star Speedy Gonzalez. Oh, I love Speedy. Would you act this way as president of the United States? Would you be Is doing Speedy running for president? No, Speedy was supposed to say right Speedy audio. was supposed to say on delay and zip off into uh, the sunset. I loved but him. where did he go? Well, Speedy was seen as insensitive to a certain group of people. <laughs> like he might have been perpetuating yeah. stereotypes that aren't really accurate across yeah. the vast amount of people coming from Mexico. So little racist, speed, possibly. Little, little racist. Little so speedy hint of racism. And, and his cousin Slowpoke, who was always asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just stereotypes. That's so wrong. That might be. Uh, that, that's why we lost him for years. Right. And now that, they're going to clean that, it up. That feeling might be relaxed. That's the question is how are they going to clean it up? Will it be true to form well, or will it be true different? True to form. Who remembers Speedy? Go look on YouTube. He's right there. Is he? Yeah. I don't even remember his whole. Didn't he have a big sombrero? Big sombrero. That, that he wore over his eyes or something? He did. Mexican filmmaker and actor Eugene Derbez will vo- voice the mouse, and if it, the movie does get made, Speedy, the working title, will be released in both English and Spanish. Cool. In Mexico, we grew up watching Speedy Gonzalez, Derbez said to Deadline. He was like a superhero to us. We watched. He watched out for the little people, but but with a lot of bravado and a weakness for the ladies. I'm really excited to be bringing this character to the big screen. He's kind of a Robin Hood sort of character. Reminds me of Ben. A little bit. So the last feature-length Looney Tunes movie was in 2003, and it failed. Wow! But he was a hero. He was a hero. And we're, we were we're looking at it like there was you know this racial side of it, but they're like, we they loved him. So this Mexican-American director's kind of saying, chill out. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll probably tone down some of the things that he does, yeah. but play up the elements that he saw as a kid of, of him being a hero and fighting for the little guy. It's great. Even though he was a little guy. He was a mouse. Speedy Gonzalez. He's back, folks. And just in time. Maybe he can save the election. Doubt it. Hey, let's take a break. When we come back, we will be talking uh, with John G. Miller, Um, about how leadership at home affects the rest of our lives. Some people's kids, are you, you know, are you that person who has kids that just don't seem to get it? Stick with us, folks. Leading your family, leading at home. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. With more coverage of BYU sports than anyone else, we're now giving you more ways to listen than anyone else. Tune in to Sirius XM Channel 143. Stream us live at BYUradio.org or take us wherever you go with our new Droid and iOS mobile apps. And keep up to date with all things sports by following us on Twitter at BYU Radio. Bleeding Blue has never been so easy. 
Follow the Cougars on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever thought that kids these days just want everything handed to them? They want instant results or uh, they don't know how to come up with their own solutions? Well, it's easy to think that these kids these days are different from the, you know, the kids when we were growing up. It's also easy to blame changing society, technology, innovation, and uh, education systems. But who really is to blame for how your children are behaving John G. Miller, founder of QBQ, Inc., and author of The Parenting the QBQ Way, How to Be an Outstanding Parent and Raise Great Kids Using the Power of Personal Accountability. He's joined us uh, in this interview, and he's talking about leadership in the home. Now, here's the deal. When I started the interview, this interview took place about uh, in January. Wonderful, um, wonderful experience, and I wanted to replay it for you to help you address your parenting issues. I started the interview this way. I said, we are the parents. It's how we teach and measure accountability that is going to matter in the long run. Completely. The, the real key to this material, and I've been teaching this QBQ, the question behind the question material, Matt, in the corporate world for two decades, and... Of course, 80% of my audience is our parents, and they've been saying, you know, we, we want to use this at home, but could you put it into a format that helps us tie it to the home world? So we wrote Parenting the QBQ Way. But the reason I mention that is everything we do here at QBQ Inc. out of Denver, Colorado, is personal accountability. So when it comes to mom and dad, it's like, hey, maybe we should look in the mirror and own something. And that yeah. is own our kids' behaviors, own the way they're growing and developing, own the mistakes they make, not, not when they're 25, but, you know, we've got to be able to say this. My child is a product of my parenting, period. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not Hollywood. It's not Obama. It's not Bush before him. It's not your local congressman. It's not your know, schools and churches. Is it my in-laws? It's not my in-laws. Oh, <laughs> my child is a product of my parenting. That is a pure statement of accountability. And, you know, as we teach this material, you'll find parents that will object to that. But wait a minute. What about the schools? But wait a minute. Okay, you can always find excuses for something, but the minute we do that, we've gone down that path of blame. Let's stay focused on accountability. No, I love this. And again, if the parent won't accept their own accountability for their child's for their parenting of their children, then then why should the child accept it? That's true. See, in the book, we talk about modeling is the most powerful of all teachers. Now, we all know that, but that's a phrase that's in the QBQ book, which is our business side, and then the parenting, the QBQ way book, which is the parenting side. And whether I'm a manager at work, Matt, or I'm a mom or dad at home, modeling is the most powerful of all teachers. This is not new. None of this is new. But the problem, what we see in society today is parenting that's kind of gotten off track. Now, we've raised seven kids we have five grandkids, and we have two grandkids on the way. We're a very productive crowd yeah. over here in Denver, Colorado, Matt. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, we've seen a swing in parenting toward a very, very, what we might call, and I'm sorry if this offends anybody, weak parenting, W-E-A-K, weak parenting. And basically what we're saying is some of the parents today who grew up in the 80s watching the TV show Charles in Charge, now they have families where the child, the child is in charge. Mm-hmm. We cannot have families when the child, where the child is in charge. The child does not want to be the boss. 
So what does that mean? That means parents need to learn new skills, take back their families, set boundaries, help their kids make good choices, be firm, no means no, yes means yes. I could go on forever. But that's what Parenting the QBQ Way is all about. Now explain to us what QBQ stands for. What is, what is the question behind the question? For, for a decade, I sold leadership and management training, Matt, and I sat in sessions with really good people, but I was hearing a pattern. Here's the pattern. Lousy questions like, why do we have to go through all this change? When is that department going to do its job right? Why can't we find good people? Who made the mistake? And I remember listening to these questions in these management training sessions thinking, there's got to be a better question here. So one day I coined the phrase, the only phrase I've ever coined, the question behind the question, and I went out and started teaching, hey, let's not ask, when is someone going to train me? Let's turn it around ask the question behind the question, the QBQ, which would sound more like, how can I develop myself? Hmm. What can I do today to learn new skills instead of blaming my company, blaming my boss, whining, playing victim, being entitled? So I started teaching the QBQ 21 years ago, back in 1995. And that's all we do at the QBQ Inc. company now. We sell training, we sell books, and we do speaking all about the question behind the question, helping people get away from victim thinking, procrastination and blame, and start taking personal accountability, owning my life. It's just a better path. Mm. And you talk about, uh, I guess there's myths about accountability. Like we, like, like that, that's a myth thinking it's outside yep. of me than thinking I'm the one responsible for it. Well, there's two myths of accountability we find all the time. Number one is we think it's a group thing. And here's the problem. Here's the reason. Especially in the business world, we've been so trained on teamwork, we've lost sight of the individual. And that the power of one is amazing. What one person can do as they interact with a customer, it's amazing. It's outstanding what that one person can do who says, no, no blame, no, vi- no whining, no victim thinking. I will solve the problem. I will serve the customer. Personal accountability is a me thing, not a team thing. And the second myth around accountability is we think it's something I hold others to. This is the trap managers fall into, and this is the trap parents fall into. Because people uh, see our Parenting the QBQ Way book, moms and dads, you know what they tell us? They say, oh, perfect, I needed a book for my (laughs) 12-year-old. No, mom, dad, the book is not for you. I mean, excuse me. It is for you, huh? It is for you. It's for the parent to say, what can I do to learn new skills? See, that ties right into a major theme in the book. Parenting is a learned skill. I love stating the obvious because it's not so obvious. People are reaching out on Facebook. You've got millennial moms and dads reaching out on Facebook for ideas and knowledge. Oh, my gosh, why don't you go to some parents who have done well and sit at their feet and learn? That's so true. Ask questions. They, they weren't perfect, but ask, what would you do? Stop reaching out on Facebook and having the blind lead the blind. Parenting is a learned skill. There are certain methodologies and techniques and processes we can use in the home that just make a difference instead of winging it. And we just see a lot of parents, they're just winging it, and then the child ends up in charge, and then we wonder, what went wrong? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem with the blame game, huh? Because it, it actually, the minute I'm no longer responsible then for at least my part in the game, I don't need to be responsible for everything, but no. my part... Then, and if if I'm not paying attention to that, then I'm going to keep waiting for years for the parenting bus to show up. See, this right. This is what happens if, with parents who are frustrated. Why doesn't my daughter treat me more respectfully? Well, that's a bad question. Maybe the better question, the QBQ, would be, what can I do to better understand her? How can I set firm boundaries when she does disrespect me? I mean, maybe I'm enabling her, Matt. Can yeah. you imagine? Right. Or how about this? When is my teenage son going to open up and share? 
wait a minute, that's a, that's a question that points at him. How about asking, what can I do to get to know him better, etc.? How can I spend more time with him? There's always a question behind the question, Matt. There's always a QBQ. In the end, we must ask what we call the ultimate QBQ, which is how can I let go of what I can't control? Now, that is a life-changing question. How can oh, I let sure. go of what I can't control? But up until that point, we need to say, wait a minute, um, my son is not, excuse me. My son is not doing this, or my daughter is doing this, or my toddler is doing that, or my eight-year-old is not doing that. What can I do? Bring it back to self and say, okay, what can I do differently to solve this problem? How can I learn or acquire a new skill to help my 12-year-old do his math homework? Yeah. And in other words, the more we're blaming, the more we're whining, the more we're procrastinating, we are not solving the problem. Right, and we're modeling for our children whining procrastinating, you know, blaming, excuse-making. I knew you'd, you'd be the sharpest host I've ever talked to, Matt. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much, John. <laughs> you are right on target because here, number one, we're doing this bad stuff. Then number two, we're teaching it to them. Mm-hmm. So, like QBQ uh, Facebook page, I, the other day I posted, you know, if, as you went off to work on Monday morning, did you model joy or did you, did you <laughs> teach your kids to hate Mondays? Yeah, drudgery, right. Did you teach your child to hate Mondays? It's a long life, Matt, if you're going to hate Mondays and wait for hump day. Oh, so modeling is everything. It's so true. Is it, is it um, I guess when we think about the, the empowerment, I mean, this is really about accountability, making sure that our children are going to understand that they're forces in their life. They're actors. They're here to act not be acted upon. Um, what are some of the principles you teach to, to kind of instill that? Well, from the gut level up, we need to help our kids resist the temptation to be offended and resist the temptation to be entitled. This is what we're doing as parents, Matt. We're building. We are absolutely building little adults, little children into adults, and don't we want them to someday be kids who are not easy, adults who are not easily offended, they're not entitled, they do learn to earn, they do work hard, they do contribute. So at a young age, we need to teach them, okay, your teacher's not perfect, stop playing victim. We need to teach them, okay, the coach said this or that, but I don't accept excuses at home. We're not going to make excuses at home. We've got to, through our behaviors as a mom or dad, as we interact with our child, say no victim thinking. Hmm. No excuse making. We're not entitled. We do work for a living. We do not play victim. All these things. We do uh, not get offended so easily that now we're a college ch- kid in 2016 and we need to have a safe space where I can go and not hear any offensive words or comments or statements or be offended in some way. I'm not a cream puff. I'm going to be strong. You know, Matt, the Bible teaches we need to be of, uh, in the world, not of the world. The world is very much of blame. The world is very much of whining and victim thinking. I just don't want to go there. Yeah. And I need to help my kids. And my kids are ages 33 down to 17. And we're always trying to model that, hey, let's stay out of the victim mode. Let's not be entitled. Let's learn to earn. Let's work for a living, et cetera. We could go on and on about what we want to teach our kids. It all begins at home. But the, And it seems like even if, uh, even if you are being victimized, like being bullied at school, Teaching your child to still exercise their accountability where they can is is more sure. empowering than just playing the victim. Well, bullying is a whole different subject, but absolutely. And here's the real question to that, Matt. Here's a real issue, and it's, a, it's an issue you could spend a day on. And that is, where does bullying really come from? It starts in the home. Right. Yeah. It starts in the home. Meanness. <laughs> Meanness starts at home. 
the only reason those children are bullying someone else is because they've probably been bullied at home. But that's not enough of a topic discussion for bullying. We could spend more time on that sometime. Does, anyway. Talk about your wife. I mean, you have seven kids, beautiful family, and um, is your wife, like, what does she think? What does she do to to rein John in? And, and does she, because I always kind of get, if I, sometimes if I'm too strong with the kids, oh, um, yeah. then my wife's going to back me down to be softer. And and how, what part of the game does she play in, in your co-parenting with this QBQ method? Sure. I'll answer that question a little differently. Going back our first child was born in 83. We can still remember laying awake at night in 90, when we had four kids at that time, talking about the day, talking about what the kids did or didn't do, talking about what we did or didn't do. Matt, we are not perfect, but for some reason, 25 years ago, we really focused on the child and us and the interactions between us and what we could have done differently and what the child could do differently. There was a lot of learning going on. We read books. We had marital counseling that we needed. So we've grown together in this journey of accountability at home. And so now today, you know, I'm 57. My wife is mid-50s. Never want to say the full age, of course. Yeah, right. Not of a lady. Yeah. And, And we have two teens at home. So we're still interacting with kids in the home, and so one day my wife's a little harder on them than I am. The next day I'm a little harder than she is. We kind of ebb and flow. We make a very good team after all these years. That's great. I mean, and I think that's what you need, right? And we need to be able to fail and still be there for each other. As husbands and wives? Yeah. Certainly. I make mistakes. She makes mistakes. I think one of the funniest parts of the Parenting the QBQ Way book, though, is when she writes, Johnny has never had an opinion he didn't share out loud. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. The reason I mention that is I, she's very good at letting me know, John, you're talking too much. John, you're externally processing too much. John, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> John, go down to your home office down in the basement. Please get out. <laughs> get out of here, John. <laughs> so after 36 years, we can really speak to each other pretty candidly. Well, but and think about that though too. That how many couples again don't necessarily feel like they can, that they're accountable. They they'd rather be a victim of their spouse's personality instead of sure. say something. And it's easy to write incompatibility on a legal document and go get a divorce. Right. My wife and I are extremely different. She's a feeler. I'm a thinker. She's about emotions. I'm about logic. It's not a gender thing. It's just the way we were designed. Yeah. We are so different. Every decision we make, Matt, she considers, how is it going to impact other people? Every decision we make, I kind of consider, how is it going to impact me or Karen and me? So we view decision-making different. We, we view our days different. We just, I'm about logic. She's about emotion. We don't match up very well, Matt. We could have years ago said incompatible and gotten a divorce, but we don't believe in divorce. And so we're together. We love each other and we have wonderful children. Oh, that's powerful. And again, you've, you've been able to take the, the accountability advice and, and actually model it again. I, that's what I think is the key to the parenting process is the kids are watching they're paying attention, and if you're going to use excuses, so will they. Well, one of my favorite lines is, you know, I might gripe about something, but then I'll pause and say, you know what, I'm not a victim. Mm. I'm not a victim. What am I going to do now? And the kids have heard Karen, or the kids have heard Karen and me say those kinds of statements over the years. We've, I'm nothing if I don't use my own content, but yeah. I'm human. So are there days I want to blame and whine? You bet there are. But I do have this tool called QBQ that we can come back to, and that's the power of what we teach. It's not a motivational speech. It's a practical way of practicing personal accountability, and that's why we've been in business over 20 years. That's cool. And helping businesses as well as parents. As we wrap this up, John, what would you say uh, is the one thing that, that, that any parent could kind of walk away with today? What's the one thing 
that is the fastest way to introduce accountable, you know, accountability to your children? You bet. My child is a product of my parenting. And there's a period at the end of that statement. It's not their friends. It's not their friends' parents. It's not your, their cousins. It's not the schools. It's not the politicians. It's not Hollywood. My child is a product of my parenting. See, until we accept that truth, we will find ways to blame. We will find excuse-making, excuses for our children, children's behavior. Until I say no, they are a complete and total product of the way I've raised them, we will never advance in our accountability. Mm, awesome stuff. John G. Miller and uh, your wife, Karen G. Miller, appreciate you, uh, John, doing this. And again, sure. everybody, go check out the website, qbq.com. It can't be easier than that, can it, John? <laughs> qbq. qbq.com, you're right. Appreciate it. Thanks, John, and have a great, uh, have a great time and a great, uh, great you know, launch of these books. And uh, he's been out at 20 years, folks, 20 years improving um, accountability. And, and we think about it. We hear about it in the news. We hear all the stories of people that just feel like everyone else is to blame. If you're tired of everyone else being to blame for every other problem in the world, then let's start at home. And that question or that statement, my child is a product of my parenting, period. You are the majority force in your child's life. And um, make sure you're playing that role. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We're almost done, but having fun. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What better music to throw it down to two of the greats, Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. I'm so flattered. This I can just see, like, holding you up. Yes, yes. To, to the rest In of the diaper. animals. Oh, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Spencer's how are, not here yet. Where, how are you, Jerem? I'm great. How are you, though? I am great. I just spring break. I, I did a little spring break. Yeah, I'm, and I just sat there as an old man, and while I, while I was at the pool, uh, feeling a little creepy, as a little creepy old man at the yeah, pool. That happened. Um, but smelling my flesh burn, mm. I thought to myself, what I miss Spencer smell. and Jerem. Those words have not been uttered <laughs> in English before. I know, isn't Korean, it beautiful? Yes. In Korean, what twice. Kajigawa, Spencer and Jerem. How are you? Spencer, where have you been? Fantastic. No, you've been fantastic, but where have you been? Yes, where have you been? Where have I been? Yeah. Uh, trying to cover up the razor burn on my neck. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Uh, well, no, that's the honest truth. No, that's, I get it. <laughs> I get it. No, I get it. No, ask no questions. I understand. <laughs> Just walk away from it. That's shaving too quickly. Yes. In one of the makeup rooms and... Then bleeding a little bit. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Okay. I wish, oh, what I'd give for television right now. Because <laughs> then I, I could tell if it was a shaving accident. I'm a highly trained professional. Plus, I had teenage children. Hey, um, here's the deal. 
I was driving home from St. George last night, and I heard – it must have been a rebroadcast – because you guys, you have that little, you have that little commercial that you guys have aired about you having a high voice, Spencer. Oh, yep, a high pitched voice or whatever. What do you mean? What do you mean? And uh, but I was able to just listen to you do play by play of a baseball game last night. Oh, softball? No, I thought it was baseball. Because we did was softball simulcast. Oh, was last softball night? last night? Yes. Yeah, it, it was simulcast on BYU Radio, I believe. Oh. That's why I, I was wondering who was throwing a 40-mile-an-hour fastball, but it was softball. Okay. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah, wait a minute. Okay, I get 55 it. 55-mile-an-hour <laughs> fastball. That, you're, you, you do a wonderful job. And, Jerem, on volleyball, are you kidding me? You guys, you get they get more money out of you guys than any other person on radio. <laughs> any other name save Scott Sterling. Save Scott Sterling, exactly. <laughs> but they, you guys are never – you are always working. We're just happy to be here, you know? Absolutely. You know what? Can I just help you guys out with your marriages? Because you're probably never home. So I want to help you. Okay. No, please, I'm home a good amount. Please do. Jeremy's a bachelor default. this week. His wife is actually traveling, so. She's not down in St. George, is she? No. Okay. Because I'm going back down there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I forgot some things. No. What'd you forget, Matt? I forgot my breathing your device. Your courage. I forgot my courage. No, um, I'm, I forgot my family. I, I drove all happened. the way home listening to your game, and I thought it was so quiet and beautiful. And then I got home, and my family was missing. So now yeah. I've got to go get my family picked up. So I'll do that Friday. Not okay. a big deal. But, um, hey, I had to ask you guys this thing because I know you're big on the, in the Twitter sphere. What do you think about the new announcement about Twitter winning the NFL Thursday night games? I think it's great. I'm interested to see how that, how that happens, right? Yeah. There's a video element to Twitter, but it's it's going to be minor. Are they going to create live streaming yeah, options? Yeah, how's that going to work? Yeah, that's They'll weird. Figure it out. But don't you think, like, as far as like the ability to discuss the game and interchange, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, they, yeah. T- I there's a lot of social media. I I like Twitter the most because it is the most succinct. And, e- and most common, I guess, right mm-hmm. now. Facebook still use heavily Snapchat. We've embraced Snapchat on BYU Sports Nation for the past month. You can check out behind-the-scenes stuff. That's the way we kind of treat it. Yeah. We, there's, a, there's a lot of options. On my show, we love Tinder and oh, Snapchat. Of course you do. Yeah. But I don't know why because yeah. I don't use any of it. Uh-huh. But the kids love Tinder. The kids. The kids. Swipe right. It's for the Home Alone. It's for the kids. Swipe right. But it's an interesting deal. Um, We weren't able to talk about the national championship game, but I was sitting at the pool live streaming the game, uh, and it was a whole new experience for me. It was fantastic. So I think we need to do more of this live streaming on media and make it really easy to pick up anything anytime. What's fun is BYU TV has actually been ahead of the curve for this. We've had live streaming for like six or seven years. I know. And you've been able to just watch it on your phone wherever. That's so right. So if, if you want to watch the baseball game tomorrow night on BYU TV or volleyball this weekend or softball yesterday, you can watch it on your phone wherever you are. Free of charge. Free. free. Just BYU TV app, BYU radio app. You can listen on demand. Wow. You can, you can go back and listen to the very first BYU Sports Night. You can listen to every show we've ever done on the BYU well, I, Radio app. And who wouldn't? Which is kind of scary. No, right. Well, you could actually see you guys grow up. You we know? were 12 when we started That is show. what is so weird. And now we're 15. I know. You look, <sighs> but you look 18. I've aged immensely. <laughs> 
Yeah, you can't even shave your neck anymore. <laughs> you look like heck. <laughs> what <Yeah>. happened to you? <laughs> Just shaving my neck. It was a shaving accident. Oh, man. I'm sorry you're bleeding out there. Hey, no, it's an electric razor, so it's not that bad. It's just oh. like cuts and scrapes. It's, it's almost just, yeah, it's just like a, an abrasion. Yeah. You should yeah. do it when you get here. I should do yeah, it when yeah, I just first do, get here. Or do it before you get here. I mean, a lot of people do then, it then when they get up a, you know, in the morning. Yeah. They just, they shower. It matters too much to me. Shave. Especially when you're here doing softball until 1037 Mountain Time. I know. I know. I, know. I, I was there when you signed off. I didn't know it was softball, though. Next time you need to make that clear. Because I listened for about three hours, and I didn't know we were playing softball. I didn't clarify every time I came back from break. This is the NCAA softball doubleheader on BYU TV. Yeah, no, apparently I was probably listening to, like, a comedy station for a minute. Soft isn't in Matt's vocabulary. No. Mm -mm. That's the problem. I only play hardball. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Hey, guys, are you doing your show today? Oh, are we still You're still doing it. I've been gone a couple days, but you're still doing your show. Hollywood-themed BYU Sports Nation today. Holy cow. Sounds awesome. How does that work? If you could compare the BYU basketball season in Mm 2015-2016 to a Hollywood movie. Mm -hmm. Or Bollywood, whatever you want. What would it be? We don't have to limit it to Hollywood. Forrest Gump. Why? Forrest Gump. Just because it's a hero story who likes chocolate (laughs) and shrimp. And that relates to BYU how? No idea. (laughs) I have no idea. We'll tell you hours coming up. We've had some fantastic submissions on the Twitter machine. That is great. On the Twitter machine? Okay, cool. Yep. So that's a great, 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 great topic. What else? Kyle Anything? Davis. Yep. The man that will be back as a senior leader for BYU basketball next year. Tells us about his expectations moving forward in Studio B and assistant coach Tim Lacombe. Also looking back and now perhaps turning the page towards – the best BYU basketball season ever! Wow. <laughs> wow. Final four! <laughs> uh, Jerem just wants to win the West Coast Conference, and I just want to win a tournament game. How about BYU wins the league first? Yeah, that'd be great. Just league. Just win the league. That'd win be great! The, win the Justice League. See, but like that's why it's Forrest Gump, because you keep thinking he won't win, but the dude just keeps winning. As he's running for touchdowns with yeah. the University of Alabama. Are you kidding Lieutenant me? Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> it's huge. Lieutenant Dan. It's huge. Yeah, you got to love that. Well, it's, it's going so to be a great show. I can already tell. A lot of personality coming up. And that's if you can stop the bleed. Yeah. No, I've, I've covered it up with, you it's know. Dri- it's dripping under your <laughs> white polo. Oh, my goodness. It is not. I've, I've covered it up with makeup. I do have makeup on the collar of my yeah. white polo, but whatever. You know what you might want to do is really be careful of uh, maybe just wear like a thicker neck um, on your shirt, like an Elvis kind of collar. Get like a big Elvis collar and it'll hide it. We yeah. have had Elvis on this show. Elvis has been on the show. Did you he know that? He has been in studio. You need his shirt and his collar. True fact because true. With the lowest cut neck <laughs> shirt. Of yeah. anybody that will ever be in Studio B. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to watch the show today to see if we do bleed out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds, Lincoln Park. It sounds bleed gross, it but I, I've got to know if we're going to bleed out. Okay, guys, have a great show. I got to let you go. I know you got work to do. Let us let us go. Hey, um, by the way, Jerem, apply <laughs> direct pressure. Okay, if you start seeing okay. bleeding, apply direct pressure to his neck. Yeah. How do I'm I get saying. the venom out? <laughs> oh. Don't oh. don't worry about venom. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Thank goodness. I'm pretty sure she wasn't venomous.
Anyway, let's uh, leave, let's we'll leave let you Brittany out of this. <laughs> we'll let you go, you guys. I wish, man. <laughs> See you. Have a great show. What Bye. the knock them dead. See what we do, folks. <laughs> we just sneak it in there. We spread rumors. Ben, quiet. <laughs> ben, are you still talking? Are you still talking over there? Hey, as you know, we always like to do a little uh, work for the bad boys. We like to take care of everybody, folks. So if you are a drunken driver, um, unfamiliar with the alphabet, we're here to help. A Cleveland, Ohio man, 74, was arrested March 9th for operating a vehicle while impaired after he rear-ended another vehicle in the drive through lane at Panda Express. The driver of the other vehicle said that the man accelerated to close the gap in between their cars because he was trying to prevent another vehicle from passing between them to leave the parking lot. During sobriety tests, the man refused to recite the alphabet because he said he was unfamiliar with it. I'm sorry. I, I cannot do that, sir, because I am unfamiliar with the alphabet or the heretofore mentioned alphabet. So instead, I will just... I will sing my favorite Billy Joel song. <laughs> I'll just... I'm sorry I cannot do that for you, sir. Uh, that is beyond my abilities and capacities as I am inebriated. Um, anyway, interesting interesting story there. Here's another crazy, uh, I guess, I don't know if we call it, you know, bad boy criminal kind of story. But um, Tennessee police wrangle chicken on a local road. Police in Tennessee look to answer the age-old question of why the chicken crossed the road. When they wrangled a loose fowl on Tuesday evening, Franklin Police Department tweeted that officers were attempting to capture a chicken that had walked onto a local road in the in the downtown area around 5.15 p.m. local time. Officers are trying to wrangle a chicken in the downtown Franklin area, they wrote. It crossed the road, and we were working to determine why. True story. They tweeted that out. So if you are in Tennessee, just know that uh, your police department, they are very close to figuring out the age-old issue of why did the chicken cross the road. Good job. Stay on it, gentlemen. Nothing more important than uh, figuring out the chicken-egg theory. Hey, uh, as you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And I have a hero story just from my pool trip uh, when I was at spring break. I don't have their names because I didn't know how to get their names. I'm sitting there watching sweat drip off my brow. Look across the pool. I see a woman get up, walk across the pool. The pool was packed. People everywhere. Chairs were not to be had. They were getting up early to get their seats at the pool. And a woman walks in. And I couldn't see her. She was standing behind a tree. And I see this woman pick up her chair, carry it all the way around the pool to the other side, and set it down by where this woman was standing by a tree. And I then see this woman step out from behind the tree and pregnant as can be, sits down in the chair brought to her by this woman she did not know. And then just the nice cordial niceties. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. One woman gave up her chair, and again, a million times a day this is happening. But it inspired me, and I thought, man, just willing to cross the other side of the pool, lift a heavy chair, and give of yourself 
for someone you don't even know. Was it just because she was pregnant? I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, But that's really what we need more of in this world. So she's my hero of the day, the unknown woman at the pool. And we all have the ability to help and to serve people like that. Again, thanks for joining us. We can't do the show without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, longer and love stronger. Take care of each other, and we'll talk again tomorrow.